0: Hello listeners of the MJ Cast. Welcome to episode 76. Today, you have got MJ 101 Special Thriller 35.
1: The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier
0: podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans.
2: The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do, and I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love my fans.
1: I'm just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Hey everyone, it's Jamin here. I <laughs> I have a cold though, so I have to apologize if I sound a little bit weird to listeners.
0: Oh, the joy of getting sick on school holidays for you. Never oh, no. fun. <laughs> it kind of works like that for
1: teachers. You, you run on adrenaline all through the school term, you get all your marking done by the end and as soon as your adrenaline drops off, it's Bam. all teachers know about it it's <laughs> it's it's the yeah you get sick on the holidays so i don't know what it is
0: <laughs> all right we'll head head off to the pharmacy later and get some good strong cold and flu tablets to help
1: we'll do we'll do so what what's our episode today about q
0: so late last year Andy Healy released the latest edition in his MJ 101 ebook series and it is for the 35th anniversary of Thriller which was last year Uh, So we're going to do an awesome sort of discussion from track by track by track through the whole album. We're joined today by author Andy Healy and also again today, Chris Lacey has joined us. So Andy, welcome back to the MJ cast and thank you for your glorious edition for Thriller 35. Thanks guys. It's always uh, great
3: to be back and to be chatting and I'm looking forward to digging into Thriller.
0: Us too, and Chris Lacey. Thank you for joining us, and just to let everyone know, he's not sitting in a car, so <laughs> don't worry about him like I was. He's in a he's in an apartment. He's all comfortable. He's not in a car like last time or another time.
4: Chris, welcome back to the MJ Cast. Man, thank you guys so much, man. I am so excited to be a part of this roundtable. Let's get into it.
0: Having a little bit of deja vu here. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Sitting around, going track by track, deja vu. I don't know about... Is that just me or you guys as well? Yeah, it's me too. We, I mean,
1: just for listeners out there that that don't know the backstory, we've actually already recorded this whole entire episode. We spent about two to three hours doing it and there was some pretty serious... um, audio issues when i listened back to the file and it was a bit gut-wrenching for all of us that it didn't work out because it was a really great conversation but that's okay because we're gonna we were back here now to do do it again um and even better than the first
0: time as a special guest we got fergie to join us just to remix this up a little (laughs) bit (laughs) (laughs)
1: okay i'm out (laughs) of (laughs) here
0: just
4: joking
1: yeah, this is not about Thriller 25. <laughs> this is about the original Thriller
4: album. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure Fergie is still hiding after that uh, <clears throat> great uh, cover of My Country's National Anthem. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to leave that one alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Fergie. Hey, she tried something. It didn't work. And, oh, well, just like some of those mixes on Thriller 25. Mm. Oh,
4: <laughs> shots fired.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the ebook based on how that is laid out, just like we did for our great discussion on the Bad album, based on Andy's ebook for Bad. So we're just going to go through each track and discuss it and take turns talking about it. But at the start of that, I'll read a little excerpt from the book, a little paragraph or so from the book, and we'll base our discussion on that and our thoughts on the tracks.
1: So, Andy, just before we get into a track-by-track discussion of Thriller, um, just talk to us about the personnel on the album, you know, just the fact that there were some new faces in the studio, uh, there were some existing people that came back from off the wall, who were the people that Michael surrounded himself with for the Thriller sessions?
3: So, for Thriller, you know, we have a continuation of Michael's dream team in terms of Quincy, Michael. Bruce, and also Rod Temperton continuing to contribute songs for Michael. But we also see a lot of new musicians and new contributors coming in. So even though we have, you know, great bass player, Lewis Johnson, we have Paul Jackson again on guitar. We have Jerry Hay back, uh, you know, obviously Greg Fillinganes. We have a lot of new musicians coming in and and specifically the band Toto end up being Michael's kind of studio band for this album. So there's lots of new energy coming into the room. There's lots of people who Michael felt comfortable with and they were all working together for Michael's vision of really creating, you know, individual sonic masterpieces that would come together to create an album that would stand the test of time. And as uh, Quincy mentioned at the start of the recording process, he gathered everyone in, in the studio and said, guys, we're here to save the, the record industry. And, um, you know, it may have been a lofty ambition, but with that kind of goal, the whole team came together and, and created this masterpiece of an album called Thriller.
1: And and talk specifically for a little bit about the impact of Bruce. I mean, we talk all the time about Quincy being, you know, a great producer with a, you know, a jazz and orchestral background but yeah. what did Bruce bring to the team that has made the music really stand the test of time? I mean, you put the Thriller album on now and it sounds as good, if not better, than modern contemporary records. It's pristine.
3: Yeah, and and that has, you know, pretty much everything to do with Bruce. So if you think about Quincy as the producer, he so he brings together the right elements. So he's kind of like the... Uh, the person who's sourcing all the ingredients together. And then Bruce is the person that's, that's kind of making sure, you know, the oven's set perfectly and everything's primed so that when this, uh, this new feast is put in the oven, that it comes out exactly how Michael and Quincy intended it. And Bruce is a master of creating sonic pictures. So you listen to the album. It is so clean. It is so pristine. And it is timeless, and that's got a lot to do with Bruce's ability to hear things that the rest of us don't, and he has this ability to capture sound in such a way that it – it I mean, the recording and the, the engineering on Thriller revolutionised how people were, were listening to music, how music was recorded, how it was produced, and you can hear the knock-on effect of – that thriller sound, which is maybe a little bit glossier you know than than off the wall. I mean off the wall was pretty shiny but but thriller definitely is a little bit of a glossier and a fuller sort of feel to it. and that definitely has you know all to do with with um, Bruce Swadeen and his ability to to record sound and to give it a sonic quality that just you know punches through everything else that you'll hear
1: yeah yeah it's a relationship that obviously lasted a a really long time as well even though Michael finished up his work with quincy in the late 80s bruce continued to work with michael for many many years after that and i mean the proof of of thriller's success isn't just in the album sales but also the fact that i mean how many grammys did this did michael win in in that year
3: so it was a truly amazing night (laughs) thanks (laughs) olivia (laughs) So it was a truly amazing night for michael at the 1984 grammy awards with the thriller project collecting uh, an unprecedented eight grammy awards so uh, michael himself won seven for thriller but the project overall won eight so michael won for record of the year album of the year best pop vocal male producer of the year best r&b vocal performance best r&b song Best Rock Vocal Performance. And Bruce Sourdain also picked up an award for Best Engineered Recording Non-Classical.
4: Yep, and um, they also won a a ninth uh, Grammy Award for uh, E.T. Storybook. Michael narrated over that uh, with uh, John Williams' original score. And um, I believe uh, Rod Temperton and Bruce Sourdain participated in that along with Quincy Jones. So uh, that was the uh, cherry on top of a uh, historic night. Most
3: definitely. So there you have it. Michael walks away with seven Grammy Awards for Thriller, one for the ET Storybook, and Bruce Houdin picks up a Grammy for Best Engineered Non-Classical Recording. Quite an amazing feat. It was eight Grammys equaled by Santana for his Supernatural uh, album, but as of this, no one has collected nine Grammys for a project in one night.
1: Wow! Absolutely amazing, awesome. Okay, well, thank you for that rundown, Andy. That was really great, and um, yeah, let's get into our discussion now.
0: So, Jamin, is there anything else we need to cover before we pop this uh, LP on the on the turntable and lower that needle?
1: I don't think so. I think we're ready to get into it with uh, the first track, "Wanna Be Starting Something."
0: Which is your favorite track?
1: For sure. What did Andy have to say about it?
0: As an album opener. It set the scene for Thriller. There are subtle callbacks to the funk of Off the Wall, but Michael here was expanding his musical vocabulary with influence of tribal and world music, piercing the track. At a time when music sales were in decline and the recording industry was struggling, for Michael to even dream of topping Off the Wall was seen as audacious. But as Michael bellows, yes, I believe in me, You get a sense of his faith in his talent to carry him beyond his wild ambitions. Want to be starting something is the soundtrack to that ambition, the launchpad for Thriller as an album, and by the time the song ends, you have a sense that the musical landscape has changed forever. And it had. Now, Jamin, this is your favourite track, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I'm really happy that I get to go first here. <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna be the last cab off the rank. But this All right,
0: go for it. All
1: right, this song is not only my favorite Michael Jackson song on Thriller, it is my favorite Michael Jackson song ever. It is my number one MJ song. I love it. It is a song that I have never, ever, 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 ever gotten sick of. It took me a little while to warm up to it. Like when when I first started listening to Thriller, it wasn't one of the ones as I became a new fan that I listened to all the time. But I think the big changing point for me was honestly, and it's a bit odd sort of saying it, but this is it. When I saw This Is It in the cinema and want to be starting something, the beat kicked in right in the cinema. Man, that sounded good. And ever since that sort of moment onwards, I have just fallen in love with this song. And and over the past, I don't know how many years it's been since This Is It came out now, like seven years or whatever. Like this is the song I've listened to most out of any other in Michael's catalogue. And I absolutely love it. I love how it sort of changes and, and sort of um, evolves from one form to the next. And it starts off, you know, with this incredibly funky beat and baseline. And then by the end of it, you've got this incredible different piece of music with like, um, you know, African-inspired chanting going on through it. And it is just magical and I love it. And it's, it's nothing like Michael had ever done before on any other record. And I can only imagine what it would have been like as a Michael Jackson fan, listening to Thriller for the very, very first time, and hearing this epic, audacious, different, amazing song coming through their speakers, you you would have just sat back, I'd imagine, and thought, "Man, I'm in for one hell of a ride here with this album." Uh, but no, I, I really love it. I love the fact that there's some really there's some cool little um, cameo <laughs> appearances in the song. For example, the character Billie Jean is mentioned in this song and obviously you hear about that character in much more detail later in the album but no it's great and there's some and there's some really cool um deep deeper messages within this song as well about like you know like uh society and overpopulation and it's a deep song very cryptic lyrics and um yeah i'd love to read an analysis actually one day of the the song's lyrics but yeah my favorite number one Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: that was not by design either. <laughs> what, are we still doing a show? Well, What else can we
4: say? You said everything, Jamie. I know. Golly. All right, I, I guess I better go, uh, seeing, seeing how I went last last time. Is, <laughs> it's not a fun place to be. Um, so, yeah, as far as album openers go, I can only imagine very few people expected him to surpass Don't Stop to Eat Enough. But, you know, want to be starting something proves again that extraordinary talent knows no boundaries. I read in a, in a uh, 1979 interview with Jet, uh, Michael felt this uh, swelling sense of racial pride um, whenever he and the Jackson 5 Uh, You know, traveled to Africa back in 1974, and he said, I always thought that blacks, as far as artistry, were the most talented race on earth. But when I went to Africa, I was even more convinced. They do incredible things there. They've got the beats and rhythm. I really see where drums come from. I don't want the blacks to ever forget that this is where we come from and where our music comes from. And you know, so so that quote just it, it just sticks in my mind because I feel Africa's heartbeat not only on the record but also during the "This Is It" rehearsals when he's beatboxing. He's on like you feel that rhythm, like you feel that heart, that passion in it. And and that's not the only callback to uh, African American music pioneers. Apart from uh, Soul Makusa, um, the "Too High to Get Over, Too Low to Get Under" lyric uh, came from Funkadelics, uh, "One Nation Under a Groove." Um, and there's also other moments in there where Michael's voice goes from a mean growl to like this soulful croon, and I get like uh, James Brown and Jackie Wilson vibes off that. And then when you listen to the instrumentation, how you you have you know digital instrumentation in there, you know the synthesizers, and then you also have organic instruments such as horns, and everything just coexists beautifully, and it reminds me of you know like Stevie Wonder and Earth Wind and Fire. It's as if everything that we loved about soul music was setting the stage for Michael's arrival in 1982. And it's impossible to hear the lyric, you know, see, I believe in me, so you believe in you without feeling chills. Like, I, it's moments like that that made Michael Jackson universally regarded as a musical genius. And even today, like, its influence is still felt. Songs like uh, Don't Stop the Music by Rihanna and Let the Groove Get In by Justin Timberlake, you feel the spirit of want to be starting something just going through those tracks and yeah th- this is without a doubt five-star track no question
3: it was interesting that Jamin earlier talked about what it must have been like I actually uh, am old enough to have purchased thriller when it was released and all we knew at that stage was you know the girl is mine as lead single so when I got to actually drop the needle on the record for the first time I didn't know what to expect and so you know I call it that that start that t- t- I call that the kind of sonic knocking on the door of the world that Michael is kind of announcing his arrival as we kick into Wanna Be Starting Something. And just hearing this song for the first time completely blew my mind. You know, as as Chris said, album openers for Michael, when you look at Don't Stop To Get Enough, it's like, sh- you know, sheer perfection. Uh, and Wanna Be Starting Something for me almost tops it. Uh, it definitely equals it and, it and it may just top it. I, it's a song. I can listen to and probably have (laughs) a million times but uh, every time I listen to it it just draws me in it just keeps me enthralled and it doesn't overstay its welcome even though it kind of runs for like six plus minutes it's a phenomenal song and one that just really gives you an insight into Michael and where he was in his life in terms of the lyrics and kind of feeling you know when he talks about uh you're a vegetable they eat off you talking about being taken advantage of. It's kind of really the extension of sort of the things I do for you in a sense where he's talking about how people are taking from him all the time and he's starting to look both outwards and inwards on this track and it's
0: uh, an amazing accomplishment. Good point, good point. There's a power behind this song and there's a power in this song even though it has that darker edge to it, when you, you actually get into it in the lyrics, it's somehow such an uplifting and joyous song. For me, it hits its stride at the bridge and the guitar work there. And his lyrics just before the chanting starts, like just incredible. And like the fact that he used it as not only an album opener, but concert openers as well, mm. I think really says a lot for it.
1: Yeah, he started He started uh, most concerts, didn't, didn't he, with it, like in his adult career, like definitely victory, bad. It was in Dangerous in History, but towards the start of the concerts, not the very first song, and then This Is It, he chose to go back and start it with that as well.
4: Right, yeah. It, it, made, it made an appearance in every solo uh, world tour that he did as an adult.
1: Yeah, yep. absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want a um, little, little fact for people out there that may not know a lot about the history of this song as well. But Andy, you talked before about how it's quite a long song at six minutes and three seconds on the album. But the, um, from memory, the 12-inch single version of it is a whole half minute longer than that again. So it's a six and a half minute song um, at its longest form that we've heard.
0: Any comment, Andy, before am we am move I, like, on? Am cursed <laughs> every time I speak? No one wants to <laughs> no, Jimmy, speak. No one like, uh, Okay, like, so let's, let's...
1: I feel let's, like this, the the weird guy at the bar that no one wants to talk to. Like, <laughs> says something like what? Right?
3: So, like, so let's just do a pickup and I'll just say, that is right. Moving <laughs> on. No, yeah, uh, you know... It, that, and that was part of the joy when um, when the 12-inch would come out or the, the Michael Jackson. I think Sony released a CD much later that was like all the 12-inch recordings off, off Thriller or supposed 12-inch recordings of Thriller. But, yeah, I, it, even at 6 minutes 30, you, you still feel like, you know, if you took it to uh, – the, the George Clinton, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, 15 minute versions of songs, <laughs> you, you would be more than happy uh, just staying in that groove And what's interesting is like the bass line doesn't change, like from the very first, it's just constant all the way through. And there's something quite addictive to that. Normally you would get bored of it and need a bit of a change, but it just grinds and pumps all the way through. It's almost like with each passing, it just builds an energy and and you as a listener just get carried along by it. Well,
0: that was an epic discussion on an epic song, guys. Great start. But let's move on to track two now, Baby Be Mine. So your excerpt from the book I'm going to read, Andy, starting with the drum feel that calls back to the iconic intro of Rock With You. Baby Be Mine is perhaps the most straightforward track on the album, and has all the hallmarks of a tempered and penned track. There's a cool swaying beat, a heavenly brass section, and a playful countenance between lead and backing vocals. Carried by the groove, the song finds Michael in a more carefree space vocally than elsewhere on the album. The production, and specifically Michael's vocals, elevate the song from being purely filler as one expects it would on a lesser artist's album. You're a great writer, Andy. Thank you so much. Like you really just hit the nail on the head. For me, Baby Be Mine is such a perfectly balanced track. It's the right amount of groove, the right amount of melody, the right hooks, the right amount of synth, the right amount of horns. Sure. It's not an extraordinary song, but Michael has made this track far from ordinary and for me that's where it's simple magic lies michael's vocals are so pure they soar when they need to but i hear a rawness and a roughness to them that just anchors this song down in like gives it that seriousness that it needs
3: yeah baby be mine for me is a track that is good I don't necessarily seek it out when I'm wanting to get a dose of Michael but if I have Michael on shuffle and it pops up I kind of it's almost like hearing it for the first time I, I kind of go wow okay I've I've always I always underestimate the track and then when I listen to it I'm like wow there's some really great you know harmonies and there's really great uh, production and horns and everything I I, th- I think for me as a listener I'm always taken back to the first time I ever heard the album and so coming off Wannabe Starting Something into Baby Be Mine, it felt like Wannabe Starting Something was presenting Michael in 1982 and forward, and Baby Be Mine was almost the callback to Off The Wall. So it was kind of, those two tracks almost were like, kind of introducing a new Michael, and then paying homage to the history that he had through his recording career. It's a, a, you know, and I know a lot, a lot of fans, it's like their go-to song. For me, it's not, but it's a it's a beautiful song. And as I say, every time I, I listen to it again, I always get reminded of how uh, underrated and how underappreciated I give the song.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said, guys. Um, Andy, I, I'd certainly agree with your sentiment around it uh, being not, not really a song you go and seek out. I can't remember a time I've ever gone, hmm, I want to hear Baby Be Mine and and just start playing it. Uh, but when it comes on, I love it. It is a great, great song. Um, its it's it's drum intro is sort of like a little bit, I don't know, sometimes I think, occasionally I think in Michael's career, he, he sometimes tried to uh, look at what he did in the past and replicate it or top it again. And you can see that in patterns across his albums, for example, Man in the Mirror, Being on Bad, Keep the Faith, Being on Dangerous, etc. And maybe not living up to the the first one. And, and I think that's slightly the case here with Baby Be Mine. It's, it's this funky second song on the album that starts out with this really distinctive drum intro, really similar, I guess, in formula to Rock With You, but doesn't quite get uh, to the iconic status or awesome status of, of Rock With You. And, and I think that's the only slight criticism I would have of the song is that it feels to me to try and replicate what he did with Rock With You. But aside from that one slight criticism, I think it is a phenomenal song. It's, yeah, like Q said, the vocals. He just soars. He absolutely soars with these vocals, and I love it.
4: So I guess it's my turn then, huh? <laughs> I'll start Lucky with you. Lasted.
0: You can go first next time, though, Chris.
4: <laughs> okay. All right. Baby Be Mine is a disco-flavored jam that glistens as bright as Michael's Jerry Curl on the album. I absolutely love this song. <laughs> I, I love how it just cruises along this cheerful backbeat of lush synthesizers, funky guitar licks and punchy horns. And anytime I hear this song, I always think of this crowded roller skating rink with knee high socks, tight, hot pants and a swirling mirror ball. So it is <laughs> it's, it's so vivid in its imagery and, and it, it just oozes so much charm. Um, which is why I found uh, Chris Rock's uh, opinion of this song very interesting. Back in 2014, uh, he was talking about uh, the 30th anniversary of Purple Rain. And um, he said, Thriller is allegedly the best album of all time. And that has at least two bad songs on it. There's no Baby Be Mine on Purple Rain. Now, of course, I disagree with this opinion. and, and But I will admit that there are much stronger compositions on this album. However, Baby Be Mine it serves its purpose and, and it, it passes with flying colors. I absolutely love this song.
1: Yeah. Like if you didn't have the song, imagine a thriller without it, it would be straight from want to be starting something right into the goal is mine. And that just wouldn't have flowed whatsoever. It's very through. abrupt.
4: Yeah. So, it's very yeah. Abrupt.
1: so I, I think I agree. It's It's a great track that brings in that funky late seventies, early eighties flavor that fills out the record.
0: I think it's, you said like it sort of has memories of other songs on previous albums. It's like an echo. I think mm. not only is it an echo, it's a, a, an essential bridge to the, to the rest of the album because the next track was the lead single. The girl is mine. So Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to have to leave you on the roller rink there, but I had great fun on the <laughs> roller rink with you. <laughs> I agree. that that's, I love that. I love that. So I was right there with you, man. All right, The Girl Is Mine. And from the book, Andy, you've written, as pick for the lead single for Thriller, The Girl Is Mine wasn't quite what people were expecting. A strategic choice to get the star-studded duet out of the way, it did give some pause for what the follow-up to Off The Wall was going to offer. Musically, the song is pretty much standard, middle-of-the-road fare with a pure pop focus. It's pleasant enough and catchy enough to keep you entertained, but not as groundbreaking a composition as other songs on the album penned by Michael.
4: Over to you, Chris. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a skipper for me, guys. Now, I, I will admit that it, it, it is a good song. Like, there, there are redeeming qualities about it. You know, I can appreciate the emotional tug of war uh, between Michael and Paul. Uh, particularly because it shines a, a light on the taboo subject of interracial dating um, since I'm half black half white, I can definitely appreciate that. And um, Michael's vocal delivery on here is second to none like it, it, it's it's beautiful beautiful um, uh, arrangement and, and just you know him picking a spot somewhere he needs to inject just enough emotion to really you know carry the song forward. Now, if you compare this to the demo version, without question, I think the demo is superior to it. And I, and I will admit as far as star duets go, um, this is the, the gold standard. I don't think you're, you're not gonna find bigger talents than Michael Jackson or Paul McCartney. Um, so to have both of them on there with you know, these larger than life personalities and their voices are so highly distinct, you're automatically gonna draw attention. You know, you're going to turn some heads on that. And even though it is far from Thrillers' brightest moment, um, it did reach number two on the pop charts. Uh, the I'm a lover, not a fighter lyric has a life of its own. And um, it, to me, is somewhat of a passing of the torch from one musical icon to another.
3: The interesting thing with The Girl Is Mine is, uh, from a listener point of view, you know, this was the the introduction to, to Thriller. And as a fan of Off The Wall, I was... Um, scared <laughs> for what Michael <laughs> was, was going to deliver. It was, uh, you know, was he moving into Barbra Streisand guilty kind of era, uh, recording and, um, it never really grabbed me. What I did appreciate it, or came to appreciate about it much later in life was just the narrative structure that Michael laid down. You know, he kind of really tells this story of, uh, these, you know, dueling parties looking vying for the affection of of uh, of a woman, and Michael sort of gives each character their own introduction. So each verse is you know Michael's and then Paul's, and then only after kind of the chorus do they start interchanging lines and and start kind of mixing things up. You know, it, it it's schmaltzy in, in parts. You know, the 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 spoken rap part is said has a life of its own, you know. Michael choosing "doggone" as a as an adjective in the lyric is, you know, unexpected and quirky, but it, but it works. You know, Michael always went for what sounded right rather than kind of you know what you may a hundred percent say or a hundred percent right. He just went for the feel, and I think lyrically, this is an example of of Michael showing his craft as a songwriter and his evolution as a songwriter in both the musical way, but also, in, more importantly, in the lyrical way. And, and a lot of Michael's lyrics are often you know, derided and kind of pushed aside. But uh, here's uh, evidence of someone who's really honing their craft and learning how to tell a, a great narrative story in, uh, in a three-minute pop song. And I agree, the demo version definitely trumps it. It's the one that I kind of go to more, and I I get kind of confused as to why someone like Quincy Jones, who's such an aficionado in the jazz uh, world, would kind of steer it away from the more jazzier feel that the demo had into this more plump, plush, pop, uh, middle of the road venture that it ended up being. But hey, it worked. It got to number two and it definitely um, had people ready to to hear what Thriller was going to be like, whether they thought it would be good or bad, but it definitely had people primed.
1: I, I need to probably more echo Chris on this one. I, this is definitely not one of my favourite Michael Jackson songs. I, I um, rarely seek this one out to listen to. Uh, in fact, the only things I really like about it um, are the demo. <laughs> and the um, there's a great moment in a court case where Michael is I think it's um a copyright court case or something. Michael might be in Mexico or something doing a deposition and he starts he's asked about how he writes songs and he just starts singing a cappella, the girl is mine. That's I really appreciate the I think I love the melody. I love Michael's vocal delivery, but everything else about the song I, I just is not not really yeah i'm not the biggest fan it's it's a little bit too glossy for what i you know what i want from from my michael jackson music i love the gritty side the the funkier side and this is and i don't know this is is just a bit too glossy for me i don't know it's never been a song i really really love listening to but the melody is great you know but this, I mean, for to say that, that for me, this is the only song on the album that I don't really like, and for an album to be made up of of songs that are so great as as smash hits, and there only being one of them that you don't like, then that's that's pretty good. That's really good. Um. Uh. I, but I've got to admit though, like that's just my opinion. You know, like the the vast majority of the Michael Jackson fan community, I think, like this song. This is a a fan favorite. This is a people love this song so I get that
0: I think for us in 2018 now we sort of overlook the importance and stature of having Michael Jackson of the Jacksons and Jackson 5 and then one of the Beatles doing a duet so I think back then definitely that would have carried a lot more weight and pushed this song and, and a great reason for having it as the lead single which which worked? It got to number two, like you mentioned, in in the track. I love the story, the back and forwards between these two music legends, and and their vocal playing off each other, just makes for incredible harmonies. And hearing Mike say, "You keep dreaming," like that's that's <laughs> that's classic. Yeah, there's some there's some great moments in it, and yeah. Would we say,
1: though, that like when you look at all of Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney's collaborations, and there are a number of them, starting with uh, Girlfriend on Off the Wall, and then The Girl Is Mine on Thriller, and then Say, 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 say on Paul McCartney's, um, what was the album called? Pipes, Pipes of Peace or Pipes oh, of Peace? Peace. Yeah. Pipes of
3: Peace. Yeah, which also included The Man. The, the Man, man
0: which the is man like the, the best. <laughs>
1: I, I If I had to rank them from best to worst, I would say, well, Girlfriend would be certainly at the bottom of the pile. This would right. be the second bottom. The best Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney songs came out on Paul's albums, in my opinion.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Say 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 was the first they uh, they actually wrote together and recorded. Now, this is Michael writing with Paul in mind rather than writing as a um, partnership. But yeah, I, I you know, I... If you swap in Say Say Say, Take Out, The Girl Is Mine on this album, you know, just imagine how how yeah. huge it, you know, Say 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 was still, you know, a number one hit. Uh, Girl Is Mine, number two. So now a lot of it has to do with timing. People were more primed in a, in a Michael appreciation. And so for Say, Say 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 to come out post-thriller was was huge. But for me, yeah, Say 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 definitely is the, the better song if you could go back and kind of sneak it in and say to Paul, Hey, why don't you put the girl is mine and the man <laughs> on yours? I'd, I'd have a whisper in Michael's ear about that.
4: So uh, r- real quick before we move forward, um, cause I'm, I'm not sure if uh, many people know about this, but uh, believe it or not, say, say, say is uh, Michael's biggest billboard hit. It uh, stayed at number one on the uh, billboard Hot 100 for six weeks that's longer than, you know, Billie Jean or Beat It or anything like that. So wow. I, I thought that was very interesting.
1: That's super interesting. And it's got a great video as well. That's one of my favorite ever, Michael Jackson. So, uh, well, you know, I know it's a Paul McCartney video, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite ever ever videos. It's got such a cool story and such lovable characters in it. Um, I think <clears throat> there's even a Latoya <laughs> guest appearance in there. Somewhere. Yes. But um, it is mm-hmm. such yeah, a strong video. Yeah,
4: it's it's a little Star Warsish because you have Latoya being Michael's love interest in the in the video, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, but you know, but yeah, it, it's it's charming enough to where you're like, okay, like I can somewhat overlook it and just enjoy it from a pure entertainment standpoint.
2: start. I'm so proud I am the only one who is special in her heart. The girl is mine. Don't go Just not mine Sitting roses and your silly dreams It's really just a waste of time Because she's mine She'll tell you I'm the one for us Cause she says I blow her mind The girl is mine The dog girl is mine Don't waste your time Cause the dog girl is mine
1: This is Tito Jackson, and it's Tito time. Thanks for listening to the MJ cast.
0: Well, guys, we've been on a roll, like we've we've powered through that, but we've got uphill to go. Like the next four tracks Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, and Human Nature.
1: All right, let's (laughs) start.
0: We're about to tackle them. So, all right, last track on side one of the album before we flip it over the title track, Thriller. The coupling of Michael's edgy vocals and the song's groove that dances between menacing to euphoric to a tribute to the horror and thriller movie trailers of years gone by, especially in the way the vamping horns are arranged. The song's killer groove and Michael's textured and multi laid vocals always keep the song anchored this side of being kitschy, whereas other artists, might not have taken the risk with Thriller, this was a perfect song choice for Michael. It allowed him to be simultaneously playful, sexy, dark, and mysterious. The addition of Horror King Vincent Price's rap at the end of the song was a masterstroke in production and execution, taking the epic quality of the track up another level. Jamin, go for it.
1: Okay. Well, I adore this song. This is by far one of my favourite Michael Jackson songs ever. It's an interesting... You know, like it's a lot of people will talk about it in tandem with the video, obviously. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in our discussion. But for me, if you put the video aside, and, and it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. A lot, of, a lot of songs in my mind, I can't really separate from the video, Michael Jackson's videos. But Thriller, for some reason or another, over time... Thriller has really developed independently in my mind as just a great song on its own. And I think the reason it's done that is because I've approached it and appreciated it hearing some of those great fan-edited, um, re- like not, I don't know if I'd use the word remixes. Well, they are remixes, but where fans have gotten hold of the multi-tracks and dissected them and put different arrangements in place and and being able to appreciate all the different elements of the song isolated Um, From each other has really made me appreciate how awesome this song is, you know, and it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. Like I just love the idea of a pop album coming out with this, that's dipping into this genre of like, um, you know, zombie films, and (laughs) and I know that's a little bit more about the video as well, but I think that comes through in the song, like the you know, obviously the horror element to it, the it. I'm sure people who had heard this song before the video still would have got a sense or a feel of the fact that it was like a, you know, that horror genre condensed down into a song. And it's just so much fun. It is so much fun. Uh, I love that Michael is forever tied to this song um, and therefore also Halloween. I mean, this this song has become really the anthem of Halloween um, around the world every year. Like this song goes to number one every year. Every single year, it goes to number one on iTunes, mm-hmm. um, and that's just crazy. Like, what other song in the world goes to number one every year? Like at a certain time. I I don't even think Christmas songs do. Like this, this is amazing and a, and a, and a huge feat. And I, and I wonder, I wonder if Michael wanted that even at the time in the early '80s when he was recording the song. Was he thinking, I want, you know, this is going to be the Halloween song? I don't know, but it's uh, it is awesome and I love it.
3: The amazing thing for me uh, about the track is uh, obviously I heard it before seeing the uh, the short film and heard it for almost a year before the short film came out. So in my mind, what the song was about and what the short film ended up being were a little apart from each other, but the short film clearly worked. And well, I mean, clearly worked. I mean, it's like the greatest short film of all time. So they were doing something right. But the <laughs> song itself, it's really, when you look at it, it's a song of seduction. But it's, you know, kind of uh, couched in the, the tropes of, of horror and, and thriller uh, movies, you know, referencing the, the beast with 40,000 eyes and this and that. That were all kind of, you know, schlock, horror, schlock, thriller movies from, from the early part of cinema. And Rod Temperton did a great job in kind of merging all of that. I mean, it's kind of one of the first meta kind of songs that that yeah. have all these references and stuff. And but it's it's really a song about seduction. You know, I I kind of call it Michael's Netflix and Thrill mode. Um, <laughs> I love that classic. <laughs> he's just you know he's just there to kind of seduce this girl, and you know he'll it'll be okay, baby. Just stay with me. Just cuddle in a little closer and. You know he's pulling the old horror movie uh, arm around. I'll keep you, I'll keep you warm, I'll keep you safe. Uh, moved. <laughs> and, and it's just a treat. The song, the, the groove itself. I mean, it started as Starlight, uh, which I'm assuming majority of of fans have heard. And if you haven't, you can track it down on YouTube. And Starlight as a song, you kind of listen to it and go, oh my god, this is dreadful. Um, but the music stayed the same. You know, Michael and Quincy kind of wanted uh, Rod to relook at the lyrics and and take it into a darker place. And Thriller is is what he came up with. And it's just got everything. The production on it is so fantastic. It's one of the first forays into kind of this cinematic approach, which definitely followed through in, in Thriller. And for me, started with Heartbreak Hotel or This Place Hotel, where Michael was really looking at how can I create a visual feast for people as well as a oral feast when they're listening to this track that they feel immersed in in something beyond just the, the sonic quality of it it's it's a great song it borrows from you know rick james uh, give it to me baby with the bass line very very similar but it's it, it kind of stands on its own and is a great song that you can't help but want to get up and dance to. And then obviously with the short film and the the fantastic dance routine, it's now kind of iconic. You, you just hear the music, you want to start doing those moves.
4: So uh, uh, for years, I always thought that Thriller was just, you know, a good track, you know, very good track, three, three and a half stars out of five. But then uh, Jamin brought up a really good point about being able to hear uh, fan-made mixes of, uh, you know, that take the multi-track vocals and and they do just some very interesting things with, uh, you know, with the core elements of the track. And um, shout out to uh, my friend, Single White Glove. If anyone, you know, if you spend a lot of time on YouTube and you love listening to great mixes, that's one guy that you want to check out because his mix of Thriller is what, you know, kind of revealed to me how great this song really is. The instrumentation is uh, very similar to uh, the title track to Off The Wall. You know, from the candy coated vocal harmonies to the creepy laughter and then the lava lamp blobs of bass, you know, like you see a lot of the same elements appear here. And those bright synthesizer chords uh, during the chorus were inspired by Prince's 1999, according to Quincy Jones. So I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. And then not to dive too much into the short film, but I think we all can agree that it, it is a model example of the power that music and entertainment can hold it generated a comment trail of performers mimicking, you know, that same style, that same aesthetic from, you know, having those large dance routines to telling a story throughout the short film, but none of them, myself included being the dancer, none of us can move the needle quite like he did. And I can't remember if Ola Ray mentioned this in her interview with you guys um, a while back, but I read online that Jennifer Beals, the, uh, the, the star of Flashdance turned down the role as Michael's love interest before Ola Ray got hold of it. Did you guys talk about that?
0: Yeah, I don't think we talked about that. I think Ola was like, she was the one and she ran with it. So, wow. OK, uh, I think Good. Jennifer was too busy welding to, to do it, I think.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyone that's watched Flashdance totally gets the reference. Well, well played. Well played. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, you know, I think lyrically, you know, it, it's somewhat the prototype for Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. But Michael just has, again, just his charm that he brings to it is just incredible. And, um, and I remember as a kid, when I first heard uh, Thriller, you know, I, I would always hear Vincent Price. I was like, this guy sounds so familiar to me. And I can't I can't figure out why his voice sounds so familiar. For, so for those classic Disney fans, if anyone's ever watched The Great Mouse Detective, Vincent Price was the voice of Professor Radigan in that movie. And when I saw that and then I put two and two together, I was like, that's exactly where I remember him from. So, yeah, so uh, it, Thriller went on to be the the seventh and final single on the album, and it reached number three on the R&B charts and number four on the pop charts. So um, so without a doubt, Thriller is a classic song.
3: And just on Vincent Price, the interesting thing about that was, you know, he was brought in as a, a friend of Peggy Lipton, who was uh, Quincy's wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And he did his session, did his take. Uh, you know, you can hear on the Thriller twenty five, the full the full take of it, and Michael and him interacting, but he just got paid a standard voiceover fee for that, so he hasn't earned any royalties or anything from that. And I'm sure as we uh, as sure as we discuss further in the album, another uh, key contributor to to the Thriller album also didn't necessarily make the wise decision at the time. They kind of said, "Oh, you know, I can do this, and uh, I'll take yeah, I'll take that." I think it was like a thousand dollars or something. I'll take yeah. that, and um, yeah, I'm good with that. Thank you very much. Probably not thinking this was going to be a, a huge hit, and um, yeah, maybe uh, he might want to go back in time and rethink that decision.
4: Yeah, that 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 thousand dollar rate or whatever it was would not fly today. It'd be millions of dollars that people would be asking for.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an interesting decision to have made. Anyway, I mean, wasn't correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't off the wall the largest selling album by a black artist at that time before Thriller came out?
4: Yes, it was.
1: Surely they would have had some idea that this record was going to go somewhere.
3: But you also have to, I mean, within context of the, the music industry at that time, you know, it was its second slump in three years. It, uh, the, the music industry itself had, I think, 50 million units less sold In 1980 to 1982 than than the previous years you were getting the disco backlash people just weren't buying records anymore and so yes off the wall you know had sold six million at 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 the time that thriller was being released yes it had kind of you know dropped to number one singles but i don't know i mean the mindset i know definitely the mindset of quincy and the musicians and Michael was, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're here to save the record industry. We're here to get people to buy records again. But I think people coming in, who, if you weren't really in the project, so if you're, um, you know, with Vincent Price, just kind of coming in to do a, a quick voiceover in an afternoon, you may not necessarily be that in tune to, to what they were trying to do and what else
0: was on the album. So not a wise decision, but maybe an understandable one. Like we've just discussed this song in such depth. This song should not work. It should not be number one download annually. And yet here it is. And in all its audio and cinematic and then its visual cinematic later on glory, it works. Sure, you know, probably like a number of fans. I got a bit sick of it after hearing it so many times growing up, but When I actually listen to it, when I listen to the song, it has so many strengths that have built this Frankensteinian monster into what it is. The hooks, the synths, the vocal delivery, the story of the song. And then to top it off, hey, cinema legend Vincent, pop over and read some lines, bro. Like it just (laughs) takes it to that whole other level. I believe that was actually the phone call. That yeah. that's word for word the phone call. Yeah, they included that on thrill 25, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, like you guys have mentioned the mixes from Single White Glove and and another one I love which is just Too Short. It's so good and it's so short, the Louis Laroche mix as well they've really helped in recent years for me to appreciate like all the different layers and the brilliance of this track and it just it's such a strong song regardless of what it is and that's why it is in the position that it is I think in isolation to the film it's as funky as hell it's a funky song and we're so lucky to have it and to be reminded of it annually every October yeah, because of the the masterpiece of the film. I'm glad we're talking about it now. Same here. Michael Jackson is back in action with his new album, Thriller. Thriller, Michael's new album featuring his latest hit, Billie Jean, plus his smash single with Paul McCartney, The Girl Is Mine. The
2: Girl Is Mine.
0: Michael Jackson's Thriller. The excitement
2: never lets up.
3: Available at all Sam Goody stores for six ninety nine LP, seven forty nine tape. Hi, this is Damien Shields, author of Escape Origins: The Songs and Stories that Michael Jackson Left Behind, and you're listening to the MJ Cast.
0: Beat it. Here we go. Flip over the album. Pop it down side two. Beat it. That chorus hits and Michael takes flight with piercing high notes. Michael's skill as a lyricist is often underappreciated due to the success of his compositions. But just look at how he structures the chorus with compound rhymes linking beat it, beat it with be defeated. He also turns a position of letting things be and not escalating shift from being seen as cowardice to being one of enlightenment and strength. For its time, however, this was a huge risk. The pairing of a white rock god with a black artist was unheard of and in some camps considered shocking. At the time, music segregation was rampant on radio, white stations played white rock, black stations played black artists, and never the twain should meet. That was until Beat It blew up the speakers, quite literally setting a set of speakers aflame in Westlake Studio B. Beat It was so powerful and popular, it obliterated the color lines of radio airplay and placed music, not race, at the center of playlists. For that alone, Beat It should always be celebrated. Couple that with the timelessness of the track and you have a song that truly packs a punch and will forever be one of Michael's most surprising and rewarding musical moments. And created the r and rock blueprint that freed other artists to follow and opened up their ears and eyes of record
4: buyers. Hang on with Andy, why do you have to make so much sense, man?
3: <laughs> I just want I I just want Q to do like audio books for me now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll we'll talk after the show, okay? Yeah, we'll the, okay? I'll see what the royalties are. I'll be probably asking more than Vincent Price. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if you guys don't mind, I would like to jump in on this one, man. Uh, Andy, the, I, I, obviously, I love the breakdown that you've done on, on every song in this album, but this is my favorite chapter. And I know I said this the first time that we recorded the episode, but I mean, you you captured everything that I appreciate about this song. Yeah. W- without question, this is one of Michael's greatest recordings Um, And what I did find interesting was um, at the time that Van Halen uh, cut this guitar solo, he wasn't paid for it. (laughs) Um, He uh, he told Musician Magazine, uh, I didn't care. I just did it as a favor. You know, maybe Michael will give me dance lessons someday. Um, So I thought that that was funny how um, even then, like, you know, there was another break that was, uh, you know, given to uh, Michael um, and his team. Um, and then lyrically, um, just kind of, you know, putting, your, putting yourself back in that time frame of, you know, just uh, street crime escalating. The, the message of, you know, peace over violence was a refreshing change of pace. Um, however, there were some critics that mocked him for, quote unquote, dancing away da- uh, gang violence. But I would say that, you know, because Beat It broke down those doors lyrically and then musically, you know, with the R&B slash rock um, feel, I think it made it easier for people to accept uh, Janet's 1989 classic rhythm nation. And then, you know, of course it went on to sort of number one on the pop charts and, you know, and it inspired a lot of artists to use rock guitars as a route of success.
0: I think uh, in the show notes, I'm definitely going to include that recent Rolling Stone article, which speaks about Michael and Janet's influence as black rock stars. I think Mm. that made some really great points. So check the show notes for that article guys. I've always loved this song. It's always been a favorite and you all know how I love me some rock MJ. They, they wanted a great driving song. Heck, they got it in spades, like pull up to the traffic lights with this blaring and you are the daggiest cool guy at that set of lights for sure. <laughs> for sure. And, and I don't care. You look at me with that what the heck face and I'll turn it up louder and shatter my windscreen. This song <laughs> deserves to be loud. It's such a great song to have loud. It's such a powerful song. I love it. That, that's all I can say on it. You nailed everything else. But we still got Jamin and Andy to hear from.
1: Yeah, I'll jump in because I don't have too much to say. Um, Similar to UQ, I just think it's an amazing record. Uh, It's one of the first songs that I really fell in love with um, from Michael Jackson. And that was due to it's um, it was featured in uh, from memory back to the future part two. Um, shout out to JD History in the Mix on YouTube. I, I know you love some Back to the Future, but for me, this was like a really uh, a cool moment in a film where that where, where that song was featured when they when um, Marty McFly goes into Cafe Eighties. Um, yep. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that from memory, um, Michael Jackson's like depicted on a television screen in there talking, but it's not really MJ. It's like an impersonator, right? Or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's, uh, that's E-Cass Nova.
1: E-Cass, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, early um, E-Cass. Yeah, but it's, the song is great. Like, and even if you take away all the 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 you know the guitar work in it, the video, um, the fashion, which you know maybe we'll talk about a little bit later, you take all that away and you strip it right back to what it is as a basic song, and it's got a really fantastic melody. If you listen to disc two of the This Is It album. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a a very early demo of the song. I can't remember. I think it's just a cappella. I think it's just Michael's Michael's voice doing the leads. And then he's mimicking what he wanted the instrumentation to sound like underneath his leads with his voice doing backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like kind of like a barbershop quartet sort of of, (laughs) version of Beat It. but. I, I love it. Even in that really raw early state where Michael was conceptualizing what he wanted the song to be with his vocal, it still has that incredible magic that comes from the harmonies in the song. And yeah, it is a classic Michael Jackson song. it if you, you know, you go up to anyone on the street who's a casual Michael Jackson fan and you ask him to name three Michael Jackson songs, they'd have to say beat it. Like it's up there with Billie yeah. Jean and, and Thriller. It's an absolute classic
3: interesting thing for me is you know i heard the song as the flip on on side two so i've just come from thriller i've turned the album over you know and and side one of thriller was pretty much uh, you can't say standard michael fair but it was pretty much you know within michael's lane and then you you flip the album over and you get those electro chimes that kind of kick off beat it and you feel like you're being transported to somewhere completely new. And even with the beat, when it first starts off, you don't know that this is going to be a rock song. And then those guitars just kind of kick in. And it's Michael going full tilt. And it's grittier, it's raw, it's, it's you know, his vocals are, are you know, are raspier. There's just this rock energy coming through Michael. And then you get to that insane guitar solo by, by Eddie Van Halen, who, interestingly enough, um, didn't tell anyone in Van Halen that he was he was doing it. He kind of figured, you know, oh, yeah, I'll do this. It'll be cool to do, but no one will really ever hear it, especially not, you know, the rest of the guys in the band. It's going to be on this, you know, Michael Jackson album, but that's okay. Um, and then blows up to be kind of the the biggest song, definitely from a from a crossover point of view, off the album it uh you know as i allude to it 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 continued to break down um, so many racial barriers and really got michael across to a wider audience it wasn't necessarily calculated although kind of quincy kind of nudged michael in that area asking for something akin to a my sharona by the knack but it just again shows michael's ability to write in any genre and deliver the goods. And he does so in spades here. It's, it's you know, I was um, out shopping the other day and I heard it uh, just in a shopping center being played. And it's still, you know, 35, 36 years later, still being played, it's still got that sense of energy and enjoyment and you can't help but just get caught up in the song and uh, be carried with it. It's a song that I think will forever be synonymous with Michael, definitely will forever be synonymous with Eddie Van Halen. And it'll be something that well beyond, uh, you know, our time, will we'll still continue to inspire and and have people listening to it. And that's the joy of, of what Michael
0: created. Andy, there's a hashtag for when you hear it in the shops. It's hashtag TodayIHeardMJ. Too. Uh, I, I don't, I don't remember seeing your tweet. Yeah, I don't remember seeing your tweet. Uh, uh, man, if, if, if yeah. I would be tweeting like constantly
3: if, uh, if I was out and about going, oh, yeah, today I heard uh, Beat It. Today I heard – I think in one day I actually heard Beat It, Billie Jean and Thriller all in
0: different places. It was kind of – You can bizarre. put it all in one tweet. That's okay. I'll forgive that. Just <laughs> use the right ha- use the right hashtag. So guys out there, when you hear – you know, MJ fans, we can hear the, the beat of – a Michael song in the distance. Oh, you can like hear at a block, and you'll, you'll walk there. You'll away. speed
1: walk there. You'll go. What shop is playing MJ? I'm
0: going into this shop. And you go, oh, it's a it's a hardware store. Okay, well, oh, while I'm here, may as well. So you know, there's a hashtag for that, guys. Hashtag today, I heard MJ.
1: And extra points if you capture the video. You know, just film the extra aisle, or whatever you're looking at mm-hmm.
3: the, One of the interesting things about. Um, about this track specifically. So uh, we should give a nod to the guys from Toto, who pretty much were MJ's studio band and on on Beat It. We've got Steve Lukather, we've got Steve Piccaro, we've got Jeff Piccaro. And Jeff, interestingly enough, on drums, finished the session and was leaving as Steve was going in to lay down some synthesizers and stuff. And um, you know, Steve said to his brother, hey, how did it go? And Jeff just shook his head, saying, man, I don't know what they're doing in there that that song's a complete mess that's never going to go anywhere and <laughs> uh, you know and and he owns up to it later on go wow how wrong was i but everything for him just felt like it was a little bit off off the beat and when you listen back to it there are just kind of little subtle moves in in the way that the uh, the keys come in in the way that the, the guitar lines are and even some of the accents of the cabasa and stuff like that that just seem a little off but just work so beautifully
1: Fun fact, uh, Steve Lukather actually came back to work on another Michael Jackson song later in his career. He did the guitar work for the leaked version of Do You Know Where Your Children Are that was produced in consideration for the Michael album that never came hmm. out. You guys have heard that song, right? The guitar version? That Yes. Yeah, that's Steve Lukather. Mm-hmm. Good deal. How do we do this next one, Q?
0: I know, Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how what, what other album has a run of tracks this
4: strong like seriously alright I, I, I do I do have one yeah go mind. for it I would say Purple Rain from top to bottom okay I, I, it, I know I'm probably I'm, I'm I'm gonna have some people coming at me on Twitter as soon as they hear this episode but Purple Rain from top to bottom for sure every,
0: every single song
4: yeah, every single song.
1: Cool. Yeah, I would, I yeah. would say it's uh, even though the highs of Purple Rain aren't as high as Thriller, I would say it's got a level of consistency that Thriller doesn't from start to finish. Hmm. Yeah.
3: And I think, I think definitely Purple Rain. I think Purple Rain and not just singling out Purple Rain, but many of the albums that followed the release yes. of Thriller benefited from from what Thriller did. Thriller kind of created the blueprint of how an album uh, can be sequenced and how an album should be sequenced and how many singles you can release off it and things like that. So, um, you know, Prince was definitely aware of what was going on. I think everyone in the music industry was definitely aware of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so you see that shift post-1982 of albums, again, being important musical journeys for artists and, and really looking at how they can bring as many great songs to to a project rather than just kind of, you know, two thrillers, the rest filler, everybody was now starting to go, okay, we need really to up the strength of of tracks. And so there's definitely that legacy that carries through.
1: And do you think that was Michael's idea with this album? Because like, and when you listen to Off the Wall and Destiny and Triumph and all the albums that came out from Michael Jackson before Thriller, there is a level of real consistency from the start of the album to the end of the album, in the instruments being used and the types of songs and the genre of music, "Off the Wall" very much is like a, almost like a concept album, like a, a party album. You can put it on from start to finish, and it sound all the songs sound quite similar. But with Thriller, every every song is is all, is very different, with the exception of I guess "Baby Be Mine" and then you know "The Lady in My Life" and and maybe "PyT." Each of the other songs on the album is its it's its own animal, its own entity, its own its own story, its own sound. Um, Do you think that Michael's vision for Thriller was to have a suite of songs that each was its very own individual thing?
4: Yes, it it actually was. Um, There was a quote that I found. um, He says, if you take an album like Nutcracker Sweek, every song is a killer, every one. So I said to myself, why can't there be a pop album where every song was good?
3: Yeah, I definitely think that following Off the Wall and its commercial and critical acclaim but also its commercial and critical snubbing of Michael in a sense. Michael wanted to kind of come back and not be ignored in any way shape or form and he wanted to create an album where every track was a killer track. Whether he achieved that on every song uh, will, will depend on people's own personal preferences but he definitely created an album that you know, I mean, seven singles got released off this album. That's unheard of at that time. The average was three.
1: Yeah, seven of the nine tracks, yeah. And I yeah. think they I all, mean, the seven of the nine went to in the top ten, didn't
3: they? Yeah, all all went top yep. ten. You know, during a 15-month period, Michael had nine top ten hits. If you include Say 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 and Rockwell's uh, Somebody's Watching Me. That's unheard that's, of. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Yeah. You, you had, on average, maybe three songs got released from an album. Um, and and Michael comes and drops seven, and probably could have dropped nine. You know, they they probably could have eked out "Lady of My Life" and and "Baby Be Mine," but mm-hmm. uh, you know they, they had they had to stop at some point. <laughs> but it, it it definitely was, I think, Michael's vision to just create an album that was so consistently great that every song could stand on its own. It may have caused a bit of a, you know, you talk about off the wall kind of being more at the party album and kind of more concept. Thriller wasn't necessarily a concept album in terms of a running theme, but it was definitely a concept album in terms of this was like, I'm going to present an album that is like listening to the radio and scanning through all the dials and I'm going to hit everything and and you're going to love it.
1: Yeah, that's like the you know it's got the best rock song it could po- possibly have on it. It's got like the best funk song it could possibly have on it, best love song. Like it's got all these different genres, and each genre is is the best of what it can be, almost. Which is uh, and and speaking of great great songs, I mean, what greater song in the world is there really than Billie Jean?
0: Mm. All right, let's tackle it, Billie Jean. It's perhaps hard now to disassociate the song from the mental images it conjures. Whilst there is no denying this was Michael's iconic live performance piece, there is also no denying the mastery and craftsmanship that went into the writing and delivery of this song. From the percussive lyrical delivery to the rich harmonies to the countering backing vocals, To the myriad of tantalising musical flourishes, Billie Jean is as close to musical perfection as you are ever likely to hear. Add to the mix Michael's flawless vocal delivery and surprisingly personal lyrics that are at once filled with intrigue, concern, then flat-out denial, and you would think its place in music history was predestined. It's as if all of Michael's musical ambitions are embedded in each bar and successfully so. Andy, I'm going to hand over to you for this starting.
3: I'm actually not familiar with this song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know anyone on the planet who's not familiar with uh, with Billie Jean. It is a juggernaut of ambition and perfect, perfect execution. You know, Michael, uh, you know, as, as I say, it's kind of like it's Michael's everything in this track. There's that driving beat that, uh, you know, and it's, and it's a simple, but it's just it, it forms the foundation that everything gets built on. You, you've got that killer bass line. You've got those perfect accents with the synths. You've got the horn runs. You've got the guitar. You've got everything is a hook, and Michael kind of purposely created all these little hooks throughout the track so that you're just constantly being brought back in, brought back in, brought back in, and his harmonies, his lead vocal, everything is flawless. And again, I got to enjoy this song as a song first, before the, the short film, before the iconic uh, Motown 25 anniversary special performance, it was a song. And, you know, I often get asked, do you have a favorite Michael Jackson song? And it, it seems kind of, you know, try to to fall back on Billie Jean as, you know, yeah, that's my favorite, but it is. I can, I can put Billie Jean on and I just get lost in the music. There isn't anything um, more powerful than that and it is quintessential michael everything there's that paranoia there's the uh the the femme fatale relationship and 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 view of women there's a a, a sense of being taken advantage of there's everything that that made uh, michael michael in this song and uh yeah i just i don't know i mean i I could spend six hours just talking about Billie Jean in its own right. It's, uh, it's quintessential. It's, it's genius.
4: Andy, I'm going to need you to stop reading my notes, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've hacked my computer or something. Cause like pretty much everything you said was already on my page. So yeah, I'm gonna have to come for you uh, a little <laughs> later. So, um, but, uh, but no, like everything you touched on, it has, it has everything, you know? Um, And and, and as a dancer, what I found was really interesting is that uh, and and Andy, you just touched on is that it does capture that sense of paranoia where his safe haven, in this case, the dance floor is now a danger zone. You know, so it's very interesting for him to turn something that means so much to him into now. It's like, okay, you know, like all all bets are off. Like I'm not not safe anywhere. I would say that this really kind of planted seeds for other thin uh, fatale masterpieces you know dirty Diana dangerous blood on the dance floor and then before that I would say uh working day and night and heartbreak hotel were really you know that that's really kind of got things going but then everything you know you know it got cranked up to 11 on Billy Jean and, and in his uh, his memoir uh, moonwalk, I, what I thought was so cool is that he, he wanted to write a song with a great line And, you know, the melody just kind of crept over him and he was so consumed by it that, um, that he didn't realize smoke was coming out of his car whenever he was on the freeway until a motorcyclist mouthed to him. He's like, Hey, your car's on fire. So, and even when they were getting help, you know, he was still silently composing the music in his mind. So like, it, it was just the, even then for him, it was just, there was a hypnotic, Quality about that song, so it's no wonder it went on to be number one. And then, of course, you know the the mental imagery that comes from it. You know, whether it be Motown 25 or whenever he performed it on tour, you know, it just it it just it was spellbinding. You know, everyone fell under his spell, and he had everyone in the palm of his hand. So, yeah, as much as I would love to be that guy that says, "Yeah, there's a better song than Billie Jean in his catalog." If I'm being 100% honest, Billie Jean that that is his masterpiece without question.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the word masterpiece is a, a really accurate term, a great term. If you were in some kind of crazy hypothetical position where you had to demonstrate Michael Jackson's music to somebody with only one song and you could only pick one song from his catalogue, I think this would be the one. This this would have to be the one. It it really encapsulates what Michael was about, um, I think, musically. Um, it is perfect. It's a perfect song. It's flawless. Um, there's, I can't fault it whatsoever it's beautiful it is in my books within um you know the top two or three songs that have ever been written um of all time by any artist it it is sublime and i'll never get tired of listening to it i think you know it's interesting no matter what sort of club you're in uh bar or whatever even today this song comes on and the dance floor is full you know it's (laughs) it's it is timeless absolutely timeless and the you know it's it, it was only taken to even bigger heights eventually because michael created equally iconic visuals in his live performance that would go with the song you know like i mean how how what would michael jackson be without the spotlight the glove the sparkling socks you know billy jean on stage you know that is michael jackson and uh, he just He just transcended with this song on so many levels as an artist. And, boy, what else did I want to say about it? I had something in my head that's kind of slipped out. Oh, yeah. Um, Since we – and, I, you know, obviously we already recorded this show um, a while back. We're doing it again. But since we recorded it last time, you know, there's been some pretty damning news around this song or accusations, I will say from the producer of the song quincy jones has since come out and said that michael took took the bass line quincy said michael didn't write the bass line he took that from a donna Summer song. now i don't know if i want to open that can of worms but i think it's important that we you know now include a discussion around that uh, with the song because last time we spoke about it we talked about it as being purely a michael jackson composition and since then we've now had the producer of the song come out and say that it wasn't so i mean i've got opinions on that that I'll hold back a little bit until I've heard you guys speak, but what, what do you think of that? Have, has your opinion of the song changed since Quincy said that those things
3: just to place it in context. Um, and we need to know the history of, of the song that, uh, Quincy was talking about, which was state of independence. So state of independence was written by Vangelis and, uh,
1: John Anderson, I think the blade runner guy, right? Yeah. 19,
3: 1981 album. Uh, what was it called? The, uh, the Friends of Mr. Cairo, and if you listen to, I, I highly encourage people to listen to to that version. The the bass line that Quincy claims was was kind of co opted for Billy Jean is a sequenced part uh, of a synth line that's run really really fast. And then Quincy obviously produced "State of Independence" Michael uh, on Donna Summer's album. Michael's one of the uh, backing vocalists on that. It was recorded, I think, uh, in 82. So I don't know whether it was... It must have been pre-thriller sessions, I'm assuming, or, or at least early on in the, the thriller sessions. Is it note-for-note, note, uh, you know, uh, uh, a steal. I haven't actually done the analysis on a note-for-note note basis. Is there a, a general feel? Yes. But a climbing and ascending-descending baseline was not... Um, unheard of prior to to Billie Jean. If you you look back in the history of music, there's there's always been ascending and descending structures of, of notes. Is it a note-for-note a note co-op? I don't think so. Is there a similarity? Yes. Is it an intentional thing on Michael's behalf, or is it just something in the subconscious? I mean Michael would need to have heard the song, been, you know, sitting somewhere with it playing in in its real time in his mind and then slowing it down to be able to, to then do, 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 do. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know the intent of it. I don't know how closely that is. And let's say, for the sake of argument, that yes, Michael deliberately lifted uh, the baseline and and placed it. Quincy then, as the producer of both the Donna Summer uh, track and and Billy Jean, you know, would be culpable of that. Uh, just as culpable, because he would be saying, as an artist himself, "Yeah, that's fine to do." Personally, I think it was blown up bigger than than it needed to be. I think because Quincy's accusation and Quincy's interview, which was a wild interview, um, <laughs> caused caused a caused a lot of a lot of press coverage. To me, it doesn't hamper the enjoyment of Billie Jean. Uh, you know, it made me go back and listen to State of Independence and then go back and listen to uh, both the Donna Summer and the, the John um, Anderson and Vangelis version. You know, State of Independence is a great song in its own right. Um, I, th- I think it, the reason it, does... it
1: kind of blew up is because, well, number two reasons. Number one, this is a song that Michael has done interviews about really deconstructing how he wrote it. Like he he's very clear about how he wrote the bass line. In Living With Michael Jackson, he... He actually beatboxes it. He, he vocalizes the bass line and says he wrote it in driving his car along Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles. So on the one hand, Michael's really clearly saying he wrote the song then, like the bass line, he wrote it. And number two, it's the biggest, like probably the biggest song ever released. It's probably the most iconic, biggest, popular, most heard song in history. And so for a producer to come out and claim that about a song of that magnitude, I can see why that story blew up. To me, it doesn't really bother me either. Like, I don't really care. Like, if Michael Jackson heard the Donna Summer thing and then that went into his subconscious and then later on he, you know that came out in his own artistic interpretation and creativity and then he built a track around it i don't i don't care about that that doesn't bother me that doesn't make michael jackson less of an artist to me it just means he was inspired by certain note patterns and music and went his own direction with things and and that's fine but i i do i i do think it's important that we at least address it (laughs) chris what did you think
4: about this well, um, I'm a little torn on how to respond to this question because one part of me is saying if I don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But then another part of me really wants to kind of dive into, you know, really what I think about it. So so I'm not exactly sure how to tackle this question. Honestly. OK, I read the interview and in particular when he started talking about Michael not just about Billy Jean, but other things about his life. I couldn't help but get this vibe that Quincy is upset with his status in the world. I think when you look at everything that he accomplished before he even met Mike on the set of The Wiz, he was, I mean, he, he worked with countless artists, you know, Frank Sinatra, uh, Count Basie, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, etc. It's as if once he collaborated with Michael, that's all he was graded by after that. So to me, so basically what I'm saying is that his you know his shots at at Michael to me kind of sound like like he's it's it's sour grapes basically, and I think that because he's constantly being seen by the world as Michael Jackson's producer, that he spoke out of anger. And now whether Michael got inspiration from Donna Summers or, or what have you, I mean that's you know that that's always going to be a mystery. But even Michael spoke to um, being, you know, inspired by various things. I mean, he would always be, you know, look for inspiration, then he would put his own spin on it. So, I mean, you know, take with that what you will, but, but yeah, just the tone of the interview, um, particularly about Michael, especially when he started talking about, you know, vitiligo and things like that, just to me, it was below the belt and Michael wasn't here to defend himself. So I think he was out of bounds on that.
0: I think, When you get to a certain age, you just don't give a shit what you say in interviews or as responses to questions and you don't hold back. And he's an old guy. And I think probably a while ago he reached that point where if someone asks him something, he'll just tell it like it is at that moment on the tip of his tongue. And whether it comes back to bite him in the butt later, you don't think of it in the moment. And all I'll say really is like he can – maybe have the wrong choice of words or language for maybe like instead of steal you know it could have been inspired by or influenced by or whatever i think the choice of language probably had a lot to do with how the interview went down but in the end he was the producer on the track so you know who who else is in the same room pushing the buttons and and has their name in the credits as well so Anyway, quickly, before we head on to the next track, Human Nature, which we're all itching to get to as well, I, for Billy Jean, like each layer for me is a hook that any other pop song would kill to have. And there seems to be an endless supply of them here. And the passion and the delivery of Michael's vocals from the pleading, the urgency to the he's and the who's, like Billy Jean, he nailed it.
1: Absolutely.
3: Just before we move on, you know, just talking about influence and stuff, you know, there's a famous uh, story that Daryl Hall tells from Hall & Oates about the uh, We Are The World session and Michael kind of going over to them and saying, oh, I hope you guys don't mind that I took, I think the the, the drum or the bass line from I Can't Go For That, No Can Do um, by Hall and & Oates. And they were like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, you know, I, I kind of took the inspiration that and they were like we don't hear it you know and i think that goes to the point of you can be inspired by something and take it and the journey that you go on brings it into something completely new but you as an artist think oh yeah but i didn't get there by myself i kind of took so and so as inspiration and that's what artistry is about you kind of you listen to something and you hear it all throughout you know in Prince's career and Stevie Wonder's career and whoever, they're listening to somebody else. You know, Prince is listening to, to Weather Report and kind of hears what they're doing and then creates 1999, which has a very Weather Report kind of feel to it. You know, people then hear 1999 and then they create stuff. And it's not necessarily that you're copying, it's just that you're using that inspiration, that power of that music to kind of be a springboard for you as you leap into a new area. And I think that's something that we need to just be mindful of in in these discussions about, you know, stealing is such a uh, such a bad word, but and um, it does happen. Think- like
1: people do steal music and then replicate it and try to pass it off as their own. Like that's that's why there's law courts. That's why there's copyright um, For sure. situations. For but sure. this, in my opinion, this is not one of those situations. And I'm with you, Andy. I think I think that Billie Jean at at. At most, is just a matter of being inspired by a particular thing that might have bubbled up in Michael's subconscious. Who knows? But it is a brilliant song that deserves its place on the pedestal as being one of, if not the greatest, songs of all time. And um, I don't think any anything that Quincy has said is ever going to change that. Ever.
0: Agreed.
2: <laughs> My movie scene. I said, "Don't mind, but what do you mean? I am the one who would dance on the floor and around." She said, "I am the one who would dance on the floor."
0: Vincent Patterson. I'm the director and choreographer for Michael Jackson, and you are listening to the MJ cast.
1: All right, Human Nature.
0: From your book, Andy, you've written for Human Nature as if waking from a dream, the vocals paint a narrative of restless isolation and longing amidst a bustling cityscape with a strong desire to get out into the nighttime, that four walls won't hold me tonight, Michael embraces the adventure that the twinkling city of lights, New York promise, a chance for excitement, discovery, and perhaps one night of love. Penned by Toto alum Steve Picaro and lyricist John Bettis, Its development from sparse writer's demo to a completed track is evidence of taking a beautiful hook and packing it with authentic heart and soul. Human nature is undeniably one of Michael's greatest moments on record. His vocals are peerless. The wistful emotion he conveys elevates the song to a timeless status and it demonstrates once again that Michael didn't have to write the song to make it his own. I'm going to jump in first. We've already like used some of the words that we're all going to say now to describe Billy Jean. Like it's a perfect song. The bubbling stream of dreams and visions of this track is perfection. The the subtleties of this track is unparalleled as is his vocal delivery that completes this magical song for me it paints a picture and it takes you on a journey this is like a perfect example of the perfect team coming together from the songwriters the musicians production team and then of course michael bringing that all together and bringing his vocal a game and delivery whether it was on the album or on a concert, whether it was back in the eighties or right now sampled in a song, this song is timeless.
4: So there are three love ballads that on any given day could be Michael Jackson's very best. Someone put your hand out. I can't help it in human nature. Um, Musically. I, I just love how you have those shimmering waves of keyboard The jazzy guitar licks and the sage uh, whisper of those maracas just transporting you to that cityscape that Andy spoke about. And Michael, who's already blessed with an impressive vocal range, goes from whispering secret thoughts in your ear throughout the verses. And then all of a sudden he starts belting out that wordless falsetto cry at the end. And, you know, if those moments don't make you misty eyed, then I don't think you're listening to the song loud enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we brought up uh, Steve Porcaro earlier um, I came across a recent interview Where he was talking about inspiration for the song And it actually came from a conversation With his five-year-old daughter Apparently she fell off uh, a, a slide during recess And a boy came up and hit her And uh, you know, while he was consoling her she just kept asking Steve, you know, why, why did he do it? And his response was, you know, the boy probably liked you and wanted to get your attention. You know, it's just human nature. Um, so that just stuck with him. And then he went back to the studio and recorded it all in one take. And then that's when uh, uh, Bettis came in and uh, reworked uh, some of the verses. And then what we hear on the album is what we hear sadly i you know i wish that we got some kind of short film because ever since i saw that teaser in moonwalker i'm like where the, where's the rest of this you know but you know but that didn't stop human nature from going on to be a top 10 summer hit um and it's been sampled by sampled and covered by countless artists from stevie wonder and miles davis to swv and chris brown so yeah this is definitely a masterpiece i love that
0: swv track so much so do that. i that like, I I'm, had probably heard Human Nature before, but that track just gave me a whole other appreciation for it that they could take just that that little bit and do a whole song sort of, they, they could merge it together so well. I think it just adds, you know, credence to the timelessness of that track. Mm-hmm. Cause that was what mm-hmm. like a, at least a decade after.
4: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it was, it was in the nineties. Uh, uh, right here showed up on the first Free Willy film and then immediately after that on Free Willy 2 we hear childhood so you get a you get a one-two punch when it comes to Michael Jackson Free Willy so. Nice.
3: I mean what can you say about Human Nature? What I love about the song is that even though it's placed firmly in 1980s technology everything is kind of a, the, the leading edge synth sounds and an arrangement the song has such an organic feel to it. You you don't get a, a, a coldness that you generally get from from everything being so so synth driven or or electronic driven. You know, part of that is in the power of John Bettis's lyrics because if you listen to Steve Piccaro's initial demo, it's you know, the teacher shouts, the this that, it's very much telling the story of his of his daughter's uh, interaction with, with the boy that liked her, but punched her in the arm to kind of get her attention. You know, when, when John Bettis came in, he transformed the lyrics into being really an intriguing st- uh, tale of like a one night stand and the isolation that, that you feel and the connection that you long for when you're either a stranger in a strange land or whatever the situation is. For me, listening to the song, I never got those lyrics. Um, and it wasn't really until probably about, uh, I'm going to say maybe 10 years ago, that it kind of dawned on me what the lyrics actually were. And that's, you know, part of the intrigue and part of the power of, of human nature. And I've, I've got to give a nod to the, those beautiful, hidden, you know, background lyrics of, uh, she's keeping him around by keeping him around. There's just, again, just layers and layers and layers of real intrigue in what's being sung, in how it's being sung. Even the, the you know, long extended exclamations of why um, was something that Michael did in the moment in recording that uh, that song. It wasn't, you know, something that was written, it was just an expression and it really becomes kind of the the, the cornerstone of that track. This is, again, side two of, uh, of Thriller is near flawless. And, uh, human nature remains one of, one of the greatest songs that Michael ever recorded.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely magical. And anytime I'm really, you know, standing on, you know, a high rise or looking out my window at cityscape, seeing city lights, (laughs) I don't know why this song, you know, maybe it's the lyrics, I don't know, but it just comes to mind the whole feel of it. I love it. It is one of my favourite songs on Thriller and of Michael's catalogue in general. And I think that he obviously loved it a lot as well because it's in, I'm pretty sure it's in most adult tours that he did, except maybe the History World Tour. It's not, I think Stranger in Moscow replaced it. Correct. For Correct. For History. But for all of his other solo tours, it's in, in, in there and it's gloriously live in, in the This Is It rehearsals. Beautiful song. I love. I too watched that interview recently, a, a few days ago, with um, Steve Picaro, and and I, I was fascinated by the fact that the Toto members, like David Page and and Steve Picaro, were working on so many keyboard melodies and songs for Michael for his consideration for Thriller. And this song, another little tidbit in that interview, I found, I found interesting was that this song was was not really meant to be one of the main ones that that. Quincy and Michael were going to consider. It was like tacked on the end, it was tacked on the end to a bunch of other David Page melodies that were Mm -hmm. meant to be the main ones that were going to be considered and that Picaro just put it on the end of it to see what would happen. And that's the one that Quincy found and loved and Michael ended up loving as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful song. I love the lyrics. I love the mysterious nature of the lyrics. They're not Clear cut. They can be interpreted in different ways and they can be, you know, they are quite cryptic as well. But, yeah, beautiful vocal delivery. I love the, the falsetto ad-lib type things happening at the end of the song as well.
0: Good job, guys. Well done. All right, here we are, track eight on side two of the LP. PYT, Pretty Young Thing. There is a sweetness embedded in the track that has kept it from ageing And while not overly complex musically, it does allow the musicians the chance to play their hearts out with little flourishes and runs. And whilst not vocally challenging, it has the ability to improve moods and place a smile on the face of any listener. It's the album's moment of fun dance pop that isn't meant to change the world, but is designed to get the feet moving. For a track that some critics derided as throwaway and forgettable, PYT has stuck around as a moment of pure pop jubilance. It will continue to be a shining example of Michael at his most joyous best.
1: This song is really great as well. It's um, definitely one of the most fun songs on the album. Uh, You have some quite serious um, songs coming before it with, you know, Oh, geez, Beat It's about gang violence, Billy Jean's about <laughs> a stalker, and Human Nature's about a one-night stand. So you've got some <laughs> some heavy material coming in there. And then PYT is, is just this fun song about a gorgeous woman. And I think I think it, it is excellent. Um, it's not a song that I actually go back and listen to all the time. It's similar to Baby Be Mine when it pops up on my shuffle, for Michael's music I definitely stick with it And I love it You know I think that there's a um, A demo as well That's quite different That it grew out of The song went in a different direction To what it was initially intended But I love where it ended up And I think it's fun that You know The Jackson sisters Janet, Rebe, and Latoya Are there doing backgrounds on this song uh, That's that's really cool And yeah it's It's just a fun Upbeat Awesome song That fills the album out Really well uh, and it's it is a favorite, you know. Throughout the years, you, you you know, even though it may not have been a number one hit, like there's still a lot of people that talk about it as being one of their top Michael Jackson songs. Which is interesting that it's had a life of its own without having a video, necessarily. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
4: Oh yeah. There's a uh, a YouTube clip of uh, Tabas Smiley interviewing James Ingram about the making of Pyt. And uh, he was saying that he's never seen anyone go as hard as Michael did in the recording booth. Um, you know, while Michael was singing and dancing, like just going full out, James was saving every bit of his energy so he could put it into the microphone. And um, and at the end of the recording, you know, Michael's just drenched in sweat. And, you know, he goes up to James. And he's like, you know, am I singing it right? Did I do OK? And James just like <laughs> him he's like, Dude, you can sing it however you want. Like you just killed it. You know, so. Just, you know, hearing stuff like that is just it's just a testament to Michael's uh, commitment. You know, like he truly was a student of his craft. And, you know, and if it didn't give him, you know, the goosebumps, then he wanted to make sure that he would go back and record it however many times he needed to in order to get that emotion to come across. So I think with, you know, when you couple his bubbly confidence with those elastic synthesizers that, you know, just kind of squiggle into your ear hole. it's no surprise that PYT charmed its way to the top ten on the pop charts. So for me, this is a great track, and it's like, it's teetering right on the line of being a classic song. Any any given day, it it could be a great or a classic track, so I I really, really love this song.
3: I'll be quick on this one, because in all honesty, PYT was never a huge favorite for me. Um, Mm. Listening to the album from, from day one, it always felt Light. It always felt a little bit too pop, a little bit too bouncy for my liking. I didn't really get to appreciate it. Strangely enough, until I was at the uh, the Vegas residency that Prince was doing, the thirty one twenty one shows, mm. and uh, he had a uh, DJ who would just was kind of like the support opening act. So the DJ just would play for like two hours, and then when Prince wanted to come on, he would come on. And it blew my mind, I'm, I'm, you know, the DJ's spinning fantastic old school funk. And then she drops PYT and the crowd lost their minds. I'm there <laughs> kind of stunned thinking, hang on, I'm at a Prince show and I'm hearing Michael. It's like, you know, all my worlds colliding, but it, it, it just lit the crowd up. And I had the very same experience many, many years later at a Panic at the Disco show of all places, and again, the pre-show music's just playing, PYT comes on, the crowd loses their mind. And it made me kind of step back and go, wow, so many people are connecting to this song that, you know, barely broke the top 10 when it was released, but somehow has become the party jam of Thriller. And for a whole generation, it's like this happy, go-to, carefree kind of track and it really made me go back and appreciate w- what the song contained and m- my evaluation of the track has has been revised um, but yeah for a very very long time it, it wasn't uh, a song that I really paid much attention to but I'm glad I do now
4: Wow yeah I, I would have to say you're the first person I've ever heard say that yeah you know, that, that's that's interesting. I think there's a couple
1: of things about the song, though, that does date it a little bit, like the synth in the... I can't even describe it. I don't even know how to describe it. But there's like synth within the song, um, within the chorus, that probably dates the song a little bit more than the other songs on the album for me. But I don't think that's really hurt it in the long term. It's kind of now just seen more as a fun retro pop song that people still love.
0: Agreed, yeah.
4: Yeah, Yeah, I I agree with that as well.
0: I love that story, Andy, of, of how you found your appreciation for it and just took that step back and going, what's going on here? What, what's resonating with everyone with this track? I love that story. Thank you so much. Uh, just really quickly for me to wrap up PYT, for me, it's MJ at his joyous best indeed. Like I've, I've always loved this song. His vocals are pure groove and soul and you can't help but tap your foot and bop your head to the beat. It's just such a light and fun song. It needs its peaks and valleys, not only in sort of tempo, but also in emotion. And this is like, you know, up there is one of the high emotion songs of of good times. But here we are. We've arrived at the last track of the album, The Lady in My Life. Mm
2: -hmm. And this
0: is talk (laughs) about underappreciated. Oh, yeah. Here, here we go. Dripping with old school soul, the lady in my life is another slice of perfect production. Closing out Thriller, lady in my life had a more mature, sexier Michael on display. Not only do you sit back at the conclusion of the song, floored by what you just heard, but also the other eight tracks that preceded it lady in my life was the perfect way to close out the album as it shows michael at his peak and has you wanting to listen to the whole journey thriller has taken you on once more i'm jumping in first this track is pure soul heaven for me like listening to it i come to the realization this was Michael giving us his Barry White moment and then some. I reckon <laughs> You hear it. I, I reckon Janet and her team even took a took a book of notes from this for her sexiest song moments. This is audio love making. The last half takes you all the way. And then it leaves you falling back, catching your breath, sweat on your brow, and wanting to experience it all again. This track is underappreciated. It's absolute brilliance.
2: Mm,
4: Well well said, Q. Well said, man. Thanks, Um, man. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I think it closes the album with elegance, and once again proves that Michael is a master interpreter. It's as if he's owned Rod Temperton's song, you know, and it, it, you would almost think that he wrote it himself. And you know, Rod, you know, he takes like obviously, you know, he's written it, and it's this ode. To romantic commitment, but when you listen to it and when you hear Michael sing it, it's like a soundtrack to for a candlelit bedroom. Like you know, like so it ties into what you said about like this is his best Barry White impression, and 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 his voice again, it's so stunning that he could be singing the ingredients of a recipe or a newspaper article, and mouths would still be watering with anticipation, you know, just waiting to hear his next syllable, but uh, but lyrically. To me, it gives like a, a subconscious closure to uh, she's out of my life from off the wall. If you really think about it, um, it seems like the, it's that next chapter, you know, as if, you know, like she's gone. but now, OK, like, you know, now that she's back, like this is the person I'm going to commit myself to forever. And... Um, I would say, and not only did it um, provide the soul, soulful backbone uh, for "Hey Lover" by L.O. Cool J and Boys to Men, but uh, to a point that you made, Q, is that I think it serves as a blueprint for Janet Jackson's uh, "Funny How Time Flies" from Control. Definitely. Yep, there
0: you go. That, that's probably the first one, right? and then later albums as well. I reckon.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm fully with you guys on this song. This is a an absolute gem of a song, and it is totally underappreciated in not not only by the general population, but I think in the fan community as well, it's really not spoken about all that much compared to how great the song is and It's sort of um for me like the best stuff on off the wall revisited on thriller and i i, I love it it's you know uh, it's got a, it's just like when you look at the 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 credits the people that worked on the song i mean you got Greg Philengaines on Rhodes. Quinty Jones' production, obviously. David Page and Steve Picara from Toto on Synthesizer. you got Lewis Johnson from the Brothers Johnson on bass. like, <laughs> And obviously Michael on vocals. How could this song not be great? It's um, just, yeah, it's a collection of incredible instrumentalists and songwriters coming together on it. It's the sort of song that when it finishes for me, I just want more and more and more. I just want more of it. I don't want it ever to finish. I just want it to keep going. Um, and there is another version out there that I think was an original test pressing that um, didn't make it on the album, but it's actually got a whole extra verse, which mm-hmm. is which is magic. And I and that's the sort of thing that I think should you know be coming out like from the estate or whatever. Like if when they do thriller reissues, it's these longer versions of songs that I actually want to hear, like the twelve inch singles or the you know the songs that Michael recorded many more vocals and. And things for, I think he was frustrated really in the in the era of of vinyl because the songs obviously had to be a certain length to fit on the the side, and that was lo- loosened a little bit in restriction for the CD era, and now obviously there is just no restriction of how long your songs are, but at that time, yeah I have heard a few interviews where Michael would talk about the frustration of having to cut back songs to fit them on the album and this is one of those songs I feel like is it doesn't feel restricted like it still works as it is on the album but I just want more and more of it especially the last third like as you get into the end of the song where he's sort of mumbling those you know like lyrics girl let me keep you warm um, fill you with the sweetest love lay back in my tenderness uh, rock you know, rock me with your sweet caress. That that portion of the song is just, you know, give me another five minutes of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is great. It is great. And um, and there's another really cool story as well about the actual recording of the song. Um, I don't know where this interview is from, but Michael himself was actually interviewed about the song and spoke about it. Um, And the interview goes, he says, I'm going to quote it. We were used to doing a lot of takes in order to get the vocal as nearly perfect as possible. But Quincy wasn't satisfied with my work on that song, even after literally dozens of takes. Finally, he took me aside late one session and told me he wanted me to beg. That's what he said. He wanted me to go back into the studio and literally beg for it. So I went back in and had them turn off the studio lights and close the curtain between the studio and the control room so I wouldn't feel self-conscious. Q started the tape and I begged. The result is what you hear in the grooves. So it's a song that had obviously a troubling um, progression or journey into becoming the final version of what we hear, but boy, I'm glad they spent the time on it to make it just right because it is amazing. Mm
3: -hmm. It definitely is a, uh, a song of two halves. I mean quite literally at the two-minute point, it goes from the scripted Rod Temperton lyrics through to Michael's begging, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that the final two minutes, uh, oh, man, you, you just can't touch it. There's the backing vocals that are just beautifully layered, and then you have, you know, Michael's lead over the top oh. where he's just begging. It, it was so funny. Even though there was the lyric sheet <laughs> given with with the album, I still heard for some reason, girl let me keep you warm in my mind. And for years I sang it wrong. But in my mind I heard, ooh, girl, let me give you one. And
2: I was <laughs> like, oh, that's like, yeah, let me give you one. All right. Man.
3: And I was like, whoa, go, that's Michael. kind of, you know. <laughs> exactly. But yes, yeah, so I was a little bit disappointed when it was just keep you warm, but that's still nice and romantic. Um but yeah, just, you know, everything. This is a masterclass in in vocal. You hear Michael, the way he will bend notes, the way he will dip, the way he will start off really low, like I need you one more time. He starts off really low and then just soars on that final time. There's, you know, man, it's just, I think it should have been released as a single and uh, there might have been, you know, wear out by that time and how many more copies of, of Thriller could you could you uh, could you sell but you know it just it it would have been so cool to hear on radio and just especially late night radio and stuff just it's it is the perfect closer I think to the album yeah. I mean you start with want to be starting something and that's kind of full of energy and everything and this is like the the wind down this is like the the smooth fade out and you know we talk about off the wall as being the perfect party album but this also was kind of you know you could if, if you had a 45-minute party. Uh, this was, is this was kind of, which is, which is the perfect length of party for me. But anyway, if if you have, like, uh, um, put it on and there's Want to Be Starting Something and kind of like everyone's, uh, you know, having fun and then working your way through the album and, and side B is kind of like all the hits. And then this is just this beautiful kind of cool down, fade out, okay, we're just chilling for the rest of the night. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful song. And I just wish, I wish, two things I wish Michael had done. I wish he'd done an Unplugged during that era. Oh, wow. And he yeah. had included Lady in My Life as part of that, or just if he had performed Lady in My Life live in one of the tours, I think everyone would have just lost their mind and just, it, it would have been a standout. But, you know, what we have, uh, we can't complain about, you know, perfection being captured on record, and you definitely get that with Lady in My Life.
1: You know, the interesting thing, another interesting thing about this song is that, you know, it wasn't a single, uh, didn't have a video, it wasn't, you know, a song you think of as like one of the top 10 MJ songs ever or anything like that. But if you watch the um, leaked footage from the photo shoots that were done in the late 2000s in celebration of of Thriller, the 25th anniversary of Thriller, I think it was for the Luomo Vogue um, shoot. The original leaked footage of it shows Michael Jackson singing this song Mm -hmm. along with the backing music for the shoot. And he knows every word. Yeah. He knows every word. He never sung it live. There was never a video. There was never a need for him really to sing the song again after 1982 or whatever. But in 2000... Mm -hmm seven, he knows every word.
3: I think he may have heard the Thriller album once or twice. I don't know. But but Michael, I mean, the the musicians from This Is It kind of talk about, you know, when you work with Michael, you have to be on top of your game because Michael knows the tempo of every song, the key of every song, have the feel of every song, the lyrics of every song for the most part. So it's not surprising that he kind of had that almost, you know, it's not really a photographic memory, but... Whatever it is, that that kind of uh, ability to to capture and and just permanently have it imprinted on his mind. But I agree that that video footage is you know the closest we'll probably ever get to uh, seeing a a live performance of the song, and uh, it's it's you know chill inducing.
1: Yeah, it's um, and I think it's also a testament to how Michael sort of worked. I mean, he wasn't like Prince; he didn't record songs constantly all the time and had a bazillion albums, but he obviously, you know, he, he, he had less albums and less songs that came out, but he probably spent a lot more time with each of those songs, bringing it to a level Mm -hmm. of completion and what, you know, what he would consider perfection. So yeah, maybe, maybe he was more, the songs were more ingrained in his own mind because he spent a lot more time with each individual song.
4: Yeah. That's an excellent point, Jamin. Uh, and that, that's the one qual, one of the qualities that I put. Um, like, if I had to keep a score of, you know, Michael and Prince's qualities, I would definitely give that edge to Michael is that he spent more time with his work. Cause Prince, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, he's amazingly gifted and, you know, just he was, you know, just oozing creativity. But there are certain songs he was like, I can't believe you let this one get out, you know, but I can't say that about Michael is that like, I think each song, pretty much every song that he's done, you know, like he spent his time with it and it's, it's listenable at, at, at the bare minimum. It's listenable, you know, so, yeah, well, we'll, but, but I, I well, can let's say revisit that. revisit
1: that comment on the Invincible. Uh, 101. We, we, will. <laughs> we,
4: we will, we will, we will, we <laughs> will, but, uh, but yeah, to, you know, to kind of wrap this up, to know that the lady in my life is, sad, it, it, it's crazy to think this because it's the, the largest selling album of all time, but to know that The Lady of My Life is often forgotten because it's an album cut, and then you have The Girl Is Mine that was chosen as a single, is like the the status should be, it should be reversed like The Lady of My Life should have been a single The Girl Is Mine should have been an album cut
3: You know, the interesting thing about Michael and, you know being a Prince fan and a Michael fan, you often get caught in these debates about prolificness um, mm-hmm. You know, pe- people forget Thriller was Michael's 19th studio album. That's very true. 19th. And if you look at the run from, you know, 78 Destiny, 79 Off the Wall, 80 Triumph, 82 Thriller, 84 Victory, you know, uh, Michael was was prolific enough. Um, mm-hmm. it, sure, he wasn't, you know, recording an album a day like Prince kind of got to, but he... Yeah, there there seems to be, I think because, and definitely it happened with Thriller and and everything post-Thriller, but because Michael would release an album and then have two years of the album being released and appreciated and tours and things like that, that there was longevity to what Michael delivered. There wasn't kind of a flash in the pan moment of, okay, here's a no knock on Madonna, but here's a new Madonna album and here's the three singles off it or four singles off it. Okay, and then next year, here's another Madonna album. Michael would kind of, you know, drop the album and the album would have a shelf life of two years. You know, there would be single after single after single uh, released from it and charting and being really successful. And the short films would come out and that would give it extra. So Michael was an artist who focused on the quality of what he delivered. But there was a natural timelessness and longevity built into everything he did. Um, So he wasn't the most prolific artist of of his era, but he was definitely someone who had longevity in, in everything he
1: did. Andy, we, I mean, this is, this is a topic that's, um, you know, we think about a lot as Michael Jackson fans, but Michael obviously after Thriller for bad and dangerous history and and invincible was really still striving to have that massive blockbuster of an album that would change the world. And, you know, not not just in terms of him chasing those album sales, but in terms of his life overall, what, what sort of an impact do you think this ginormous album and its success had on the man, Michael Jackson? Sure. I think,
3: you know, Thriller was a blessing and a curse for Michael. Um, it achieved everything he wanted to achieve from an album being made up of, you know, song after song after song that's just perfection and he also had that ambition to be the biggest you know selling artist of all time it's interesting michael was bred uh through the motown system and from his dad uh his dad's focus that success was in material things success was in the number of units sold success was in how many grammy awards you receive success was in how many number ones you had. And so, you know, people will talk about Michael as an artist who was constantly chasing that, but that was just in his being. He was, you know, from, from age five, it was win the competition, that proved that you were the best. Then at Motown, it was get the number ones, that proved you were the best. So Michael was constantly having to prove himself and chase himself in terms of his his own theory of what success was. And so when Thriller came around, it was definitely his goal. And I think he talks about this in um, Moonwalk where he says, you know, I I wanted to have the biggest selling album of all time and people laughed at me. You know, there's that great story that with Bad, he was writing on Mirrors, you know, 100 million sales. That kind of told you the ambition that that he had. And with Thriller, he achieved that ambition and, and probably surpassed it, probably bigger than what he even thought of. But it comes... With people you know it's that tall poppy syndrome of people wanting to celebrate your rise, but also then you become almost too big and people want to start taking you down. and for Michael, not only did that happen in the press but it also happened with every subsequent um, release. no matter how fantastic and and brilliant bad, dangerous history invincible was, everybody would talk. all the critics would talk about. You know, thriller, compare it to thriller. So they didn't really give Michael um, the ability to grow as an artist without, you know, that constant reference point. And it definitely hung on Michael's shoulders, I think, and weighed him down and maybe restricted some of the, the automatic risks he would have taken as an artist because whether or not it was a conscious thing, thriller was always hanging over him.
1: Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah, it's it's kind of a sad story in a way. Like I mean as amazing as Thriller is and it's a great era to celebrate because Michael was so young and positive and um, aspirational during this time. But I mean, when you look at the toll it took on his life really. I mean, mm, yeah. it is a sad it is a sad story in a way too.
3: Part of me does wonder if Thriller sold 22 million. You know, if it, if it if it sold just that much, you know, would it have been a different trajectory? It still would have been, for its time, the biggest selling album. But would it have, you know, given Michael more fire in, in the belly, I guess? You know, the famous story being that, you know, when the Grammys kind of snubbed him over off the wall, that, you know, there was that, okay, I'm going to, my next album, they're not going to be able to ignore. and And it's true. But uh, yeah, there is part of me that wonders if he kind of, you know, reached for the gold ring and kind of got a couple of fingers on it. So got to hold it for a moment, but, um, but didn't grasp it fully. Would it have been a, a different trajectory for him as an artist and also the way he was perceived, more perceived by critics as continuing to grow. I mean, you look at bad, bad did something that Thriller didn't do Bad gave five consecutive number one, uh, hits. But still, everyone refers to Thriller as the apex of Michael's uh, career.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Great insight, Tandy. Thank you.
2: There'll be no darkness tonight. Lady your love will shine. Lighting the light. Just put your trust in my heart. Girl, you're every wonder in this world to me A your time once in away. way So let me keep you warm Through the shadows of the night Let me touch you with my love I can make you feel so right Just come into my arms while the world was spinning by In the glow of candlelight I will show you your I'm Ola Ray from the Thriller video and you're listening to the MJ cast.
0: Well, Andy, you've you've literally written a book on the subject <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've just discussed it. Thank you so much, guys. That was so much fun. I'm sure you guys had as much enjoyment out of that discussion and revisiting the album as, as I sure did. Andy, your book, Thriller 35... MJ 101 where can people get it and how much does it cost
3: so it's a very exorbitant price it's free Um, just head over to mj101series.com and you can download it and there are it's now the ninth oh my lord the ninth ebook in the MJ 101 series so um, if you haven't got it yet and you want to kind of take a little bit more of a deep dive grab it and uh, my suggestion is listen to the album and as you're listening, read uh, each song as it's played. I try to write uh, uh, to the actual length of the song, so that when when I'm talking about Michael hitting a certain note or Michael certain phrase, I try my best to try to sequence that so that while it's playing in real time, you're kind of reading it. It's a it's an easy, hopefully easy and enjoyable book to to get into. And uh, I'd be interested to hear what what people think of 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 it and the rest of the uh, MJ101 series, and also to hear what you know what the listeners think of the album, what their favourite songs are, and you know where where they rate each track off the album.
0: And if people were to give you that feedback, say on Facebook or Twitter, and they're going to tag you in their thoughts, what can they use as your social media handles? So the only social media I really have is.
3: Uh, on twitter so i am mj underscore one underscore zero underscore one and you can hit me up there you can uh comment anything or just hashtag mj101 series and i will uh generally uh find out what your thoughts are good better and different and it's you know just my way of celebrating michael's music and you don't have to agree with everything i write it's not meant to be the final word it's just meant to be a starting point for your own discussions and hopefully Uh, a discussion in the fan community that's about the art rather than anything else.
0: And we very much thank you for that because it is a terrific platform for these discussions. And, and yeah, we all here love your books and it's not just how you pace them and the, the, the content, your great writing and your great thoughts, and diving deep into each track, but the books themselves are gorgeous. They're filled with beautiful high-res pictures of Michael. Thanks for using all those awesome Walt Disney World photo shoot session pictures that you did in this book. They're always some of my favorites to see and that extra little connection that I that I love. But, yeah, guys, go get the book. Download it to your device, to your computers. It's really well worth it, not only because it's free. It's just They're great to read along and especially with the album, which I did again this morning over breakfast to get all fresh for this discussion today. Chris Lacey, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to hear from you and to have you join us. Where can people find you and maybe find some of your videos and and your writings
4: oh sure um yeah th- thank you guys so much man um I- I- if anything i i feel like I don't deserve to have a place at this virtual round table you guys are just uh just flooding with knowledge um, about michael well, but
0: you you do the dishes after so you' you're welcome back <laughs> <laughs>
4: All right, cool, cool. We'll, we'll work that out. That'll be our deal. <laughs> but yeah, uh, as far as, um, you know, if anyone wants to find me on social media and, uh, you know, talk about Michael and, you know, just anything, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and um, I'll be more than happy to give you guys that information so we can include it in the show notes. And then uh, as far as my videos, um, I am on YouTube. Um, I don't upload as often as I should, but I am working on, um, on a uh, short film of my own. So it's still in the process and I'm aiming to have it done by uh, late summer this year. So uh, so keep an eye out for that. And then um, I'm also with uh, albumism. Um, I've done uh, tributes on Michael Jackson's Bad and Dangerous albums. We are recording this on April 3rd. So uh, so what just came out today was my 30th anniversary tribute to Shade's Stronger than Pride album. It's my favorite Shade album. So you guys check that out and let me know what you think nice and andy you've written
0: for albinism as well haven't you
3: yeah i actually got it introduced thanks to uh to chris uh it, it's great it's just a celebration of albums as an art form uh both retrospective and new releases so if you love music head on over to uh blatant plug, albumism.com check out the great writings of uh, of many of the team but especially chris's stuff he's he always does beautiful beautiful uh explorations on on great albums and uh also you know while you're there check out a one or two that i've written
4: oh you're so sweet
0: (laughs) (laughs) jamin we've got a couple of social links and people can find us and maybe the awesome show notes Where, where can people find all of those details
1: all right, so we are The MJ Cast. we a Michael Jackson and Jackson family podcast. We love covering news on, on Michael and, and his family. And we also do special interviews uh, with people that knew and worked with with the King of Pop. And shows like this where we, we chat about the art. Um, but if you want to find us online, we're at a bunch of different places. We're at themjcast.com. That's our website. And we have all of our show notes there. Um, for different shows that we've done, you can follow links to things we talk about, etc. We are The MJ Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. They're our main social networks. So we only have three main ones now, bye-bye Tumblr. And we are also at YouTube. If you want to listen to our shows and interact with us there, you can go over to youtube.com slash c slash The MJCast. Uh, the only problem is with YouTube, um, our shows there are pretty truncated they don't include some of the songs we play during regular podcast episodes because copyright. Uh, So we do strongly suggest that you subscribe to us as a podcast. Um, That's how we're intended to be heard. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher Radio. Um, We're all over the place in different podcast applications. Uh, If you need help learning how to subscribe to us as a podcast, don't hesitate just to hit us up on Twitter or somewhere like that at the MJCast and we can give you a bit of a walkthrough. Also, you can email us if you want to talk about the show um, and give us some feedback, any show show suggestions or or different thoughts you've had around the show. The MJcast at iCloud.com is where you can email us. We love interacting with our listeners.
0: Thank you so much, Jamin. That was awesome. Jamin, you've you've done so well, you know, coming to the table doggone sick. You've powered on through. I know,
1: right. It's uh, a <laughs> pretty bad flu. I'm, ha- I'm happy to be able to rest up now for the next few days. We've got another show recording, though, taking place um, next week, trying to get in as many shows as we can recorded over the holidays before we're back.
0: That's it. And uh, Chris, it, it's not just your help with the dirty dishes after this. You bring great canapes, so you're, you're welcome back. <laughs> you're welcome back, man.
1: <laughs> uh, i got to ask, what, what is our next 101 show? Andy, what's on the horizon? What are you bringing out next?
3: Uh, so I actually ran a poll, I think about a month ago, um, asking people what they wanted next and the options from memory. I'm still working on a lyrics Uh, mj101 book Uh, i was looking at duets so songs that michael obviously duetted with other artists or featured with other artists on and then there was also a a little album called invincible and invincible uh won out so as of a week ago i have started my journey of uh detailing invincible and i my aim uh, is to have it out in june to again just kind of put the focus back on michael Uh, Not that it wouldn't be in June, but to put the focus back on Michael's art and to celebrate an album that was Michael's last studio album and to uh, really help people navigate their way through it. And uh, yeah, so June, expect MJ 101, Invincible.
0: Exciting. We won't hold you to the wall with that like we we would rather you know you put the quality in and you just release it when you're happy with like i know i think the thriller one was delayed a little bit but it was well worth the wait so you just just be happy with what you put out, okay? I mean, appreciate, appreciate you've it. Appreciate it. You got guys. till October.
1: That's when the album launched.
0: <laughs> wow! Yeah, <laughs> so much <bad> pressure. I <laughs> know oh, that's that's extending the deadline.
3: I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm uh, re- have to wait for a thirtieth anniversary as well, if need be. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, um, r- real quick, since, since we're on the topic of, of his one on one books, Andy, I, I, I didn't realize in, in, until you said it is this is like Thriller is your ninth book like that. That's that's incredible, man. That's incredible. Well done.
3: Thank, thank you. Thank you. I just look, I, I enjoy writing them. Hopefully people enjoy reading them. And as long as uh, people are still interested in
0: reading, I'll keep writing. So thank you. Well, you keep giving us free books. You can keep come back to the table as
4: well. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you can clean the tables off, Andy. You can clean the tables.
3: Uh, I'll be your busboy. No worries. No worries.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's a wrap. So, listeners, head to mj one hundred one series dot com for not only this awesome thriller edition, but all the other amazing. Free ebooks, well worth it, and pop the album on as you read through, you will not regret it. And you know, like us, it may have been a while that you've heard the album from start to finish, which is always such a joy and such a great experience, as that's how these albums were made. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks again. Thank
3: you, thank you, guys. Uh, always a pleasure to talk. Michael with terribly uh, knowledgeable fans and uh, passionate people like yourself. So thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: And Chris Lacey, thank you for coming back.
4: Thank you guys. And God bless every last one of you. Oh, thank you very much. I'll say
0: farewell. Thanks for joining us on episode 76 of the MJ cast with our MJ 101 special Thriller 35 Michael on.
1: We'll see you guys back here in a fortnight's time for another regular episode of the MJ cast. Keep Michael on. Here we are again, <laughs> this time without Chris and without Q though, um, Andy, it's just you and I, we uh, thought we'd get back together uh, just for a little post-show because, um, I don't know, I just like the idea of talking about what what could be in the future for this album. There's still mm. life in this album, do, do, would you agree?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it's... It's a funny thing because I don't know how many times Thriller has been (laughs) released, repackaged and re-released, but the powers that be uh, still haven't arrived at what I think is the quintessential packaging for Thriller and what we as fans sort of would want. So it's uh, definitely got, definitely there's a lot more room for it to be. Re-released or reimagined—probably reimagined isn't a great word, but re-released.
1: I mean, it's already been reimagined how many times? But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I but agree I, with you. Yeah,
3: I think there's still, you know, people are still discovering the album. It's amazing the amount of young people who, kind of, you know, for for my generation, it was kind of, you know, discovering the Beatles long after the Beatles had had um, finished recording. And discovering those quintessential albums. And for a lot of you know, the generation that's coming up now, Thriller and Michael is kind of that touchstone for them. So it's got a, you know, the the genius and, and beauty of Thriller is that it will outlast all of us. Um, people will still be listening to it 100 years on and still marvelling at it and still discovering new stuff with it. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot more that, that can be
1: gleaned from it. So, when's the next anniversary?
3: Uh, so, the next one would be in four more years. So, yeah. that would be, what are we looking at? 32, um, which would be the 40th anniversary.
1: Right. So, Thriller oh, sorry, 40.
3: 22. Sorry. 22. My math is atrocious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. 22. That's okay. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I didn't do so well at maths at high school. So. <laughs> um, okay. So, so, Thriller 40. Let's let's put aside the medium that it would come out on. We don't know what medium sure. there's going to be if it's going to be CDs or whatever. But like in terms of what you think should come out for fans to enjoy, what, you know, what products would you like to see within that package?
3: For me, I've always wanted to hear the album as it was recorded, meaning that we all know the story that when, uh, recording the album initially and doing the test pressing on vinyl, um, there was 24 to 27 minutes of music each side, which basically meant there was too much music per side for the sonic quality that they wanted. The more music you put in the, the tighter the grooves, um, are on the album and therefore the, the sonic quality diminishes. Um, so they went back and they trimmed a whole lot of stuff, which we've talked about. You know, they, they lost a verse in Lady in My Life. They pared down the intro to "Billy Jean. Um, so there was lots of little surgical moves to trim the music down to around 19 to 20 minutes uh, per side. So what I always wanted to hear was, OK, now with the advent of CDs and definitely now with the advent of uh, digital and streaming, the way that they could go back and, you know, represent those songs in their entirety. So we would have the album as it was fully recorded, the full version of Want to Be Starting Something, the full version of "Billy Jean, the full version of Lady in My Life, and get to hear the album the way that Michael intended it to be before they had to go in and, and do some of the surgery would be, you know, step one for me.
1: Would you see those songs coming out as a side, like a second disc, as it were, or would you like the, the new Thriller album that came out, the main disc to be all the full versions?
3: I think the main disc could, could be all the full versions. It's, you know, it's akin to, I guess, Blade Runner and having the final cut and the director's cut and all those things. It could be packaged in that way, that it was, um, you know, the, the artist's cut or something yeah, um, yeah. that was, you know, Thriller, the complete picture.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's cool because yeah, I mean, really, it doesn't change the the album. It just makes it better and longer. I mean, yeah. you're just getting the full picture.
3: Yeah, definitely. And for me as someone who loves the creative process, I would love to hear um, the evolution of songs. The the demos that Michael recorded. And I know that we've heard Wannabe's Done something and and Billy Jean multiple demos and we've also heard his you know, you mentioned it earlier, the beat it kind of acapella what did you call it the barbershop quartet version. <laughs> version yeah but to kind of hear things like that where we see michael's working process and also you know the the writing demos that picaro did for human nature and you know even though i'm not a huge fan of starlight hearing that because within context you understand the decisions that were made and the journey that was taken to arrive at this album.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'm a big fan of hearing, you know, demos and earlier versions of songs as well. So I'd agree with including those things. I'd also like to hear songs that were recorded that didn't make the cut, like the original Behind the Mask. Definitely. Would Would be amazing to hear packaged in with that. But there's just, yeah, I mean, there's so many places they could go with this, you know, instrumental, you know, songs. I mean, if you like... We spoke earlier with Chris and Q about the um that interview with with um with uh Steve Piccaro talking about all those you know instrumental grooves and stuff David Page was working on for michael and there's there's a lot of things they could include that could be fun and of course you know you've got the videos as well, so it would be great to see all of them remastered in high definition and and put out i mean there's only three of them the beat it thriller and and Billie Jean, but it would be great to see them in high definition and quality uh, for, for, you know, people to buy.
3: And also, from what I understand, and correct me if I am wrong, but Michael had a full-time videographer who would pretty much be with him. Um, I know that several people who were privy to the Paul McCartney MJ session for The Girl Is Mine said that that was filmed. Michael,
1: yeah, I mean, the people we've spoken to before on on the MJ cast have have confirmed that, that Michael had cameramen with him all the time, like, (laughs) filming really, really important parts of his life. Um, I'm not sure to what extent it was one person that was there all the way through. I know in the 90s, Hamid Moslehi was that guy. Um, Mm -hmm. He was filming a lot of stuff, especially on the history tour. I'm not sure about the thriller era who it was, but, yeah, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if a lot of that footage was captured.
3: So that the, you would assume that there's got to be some behind-the-scenes footage of the making of the album, and I would love to, you know, see a, whether it's a documentary or – and I guess they kind of tried to do it with the uh, with the special editions, but hearing Quincy, Bruce, or, you know, Steve Picaro or whoever almost sitting with the multitracks the way that there's a great documentary series called Classic Albums that they've done – you know, U2's Joshua Tree and Paul Simon's Graceland and a whole lot of kind of seminal albums. And they'll go back with the artists or the producers and have the multi And it's almost like they're rediscovering the song as they realise, oh, we never used this part. I don't know why there's a pan flute here, but hey, let's listen to that. And so they almost take you through the track in real time and, and drop you in and out of all the, the, the elements that make up the album. And that to me would would also be an amazing thing to sort of explore
1: I agree um time's running out though I mean Quincy and Bruce are getting on
3: yeah yeah Um, and uh yeah in the fan community I'm you know Quincy might be a, a controversial person at the moment but there's no denying his brilliance and there's no denying the contribution he made uh and Bruce to this but yeah time may be running out for that but you know as a as a fan that's kind of one of my pipe dreams
1: yeah, for sure. Um, I agree with you, and I'd like to see that, but also in a documentary combined with uh, footage and storytelling around other big moments within, within the Thriller era, like the Grammys, the um, recording or the filming, really, of the three main music videos, Motown 25 behind the scenes and rehearsals, Yeah, the, uh, the Victory Tour. I mean, real, the Thriller era really is... A pretty amazing time period. You could start it with Michael. This documentary, the story could start with Michael's disappointment around how Off the Wall turned out, even though it was like the top-selling black album of all time. Um, he was still disappointed by that, and and rightfully so. It was an incredible album, and it needed to have more recognition in in terms of awards. But um, and then it could progress through you know recording the album, the the videos, the Grammys, and it could finish off really with the tragedy of um the pepsi incident and what mm. what that meant for his future career as well yeah. so you've got an incredible story arc of like it's like a roller coaster ride of emotion
3: definitely and and it is kind of you know michael's key sort of period of ambition and his talents for i'm i'm going to go out on a limb here but almost for the first time his talents being able to catch up with his ambition so he was at a moment where, as a songwriter, he was able to bring everything together that he wanted to present. You know, we definitely see his independence as a, as a writer and as an artist developing with uh, Off the Wall and Triumph album. But with Thriller, he's really starting to, you know, he's co-producing songs. He's, you know, bringing pretty much finished versions of songs in where there's not too much needing to be reinvented. It's just the production quality now steps up. So here's here's Michael who has the talent to to match his ambitions and seeing that process for me as as someone who admires creativity, it's a phenomenal period in his life.
1: It's a funny period because you're right, he did become completely, you know, he did become very independent in the studio. But um, behind the scenes in terms of touring the album, there was a different story going on And, you know, as much as I adore and love the Jackson family Like, there's no denying that there was an, a struggle there Between Michael and his brothers around um, the Victory album And the Victory tour And the Thriller songs being in the Victory tour And, you know, like, I, I would like to know the true story Around what was going on in terms of creative jousting, I guess Between Michael and his family with with that tour
3: mm, Definitely Definitely
1: so there's a lot of stories to be told in this potential documentary. So we've got disc one, the full album, to- like the complete songs. We've got disc two with demos and, and rarities and grooves and extended cuts and all kinds of things. And then we've got uh, the music videos being presented in high definition. And we've got a documentary around the Thriller and Victory eras. That's that's exciting. That's really exciting. That's a free idea for the estate. Why don't you know they there can take go. that and go with it? But <laughs>
3: and look, uh, I'm I'm sure you know if um, if uh, history is to uh, to be acknowledged, the you know what Spike Lee has done with um, Bad and with Off the Wall. I know Spike kind of talks about wanting to do thriller next, and you know the estate almost wanting him to to focus on history you know for spike it's almost like that trilogy those those three albums of of Michael and Quincy so you may get some of that maybe less talking heads and and more kind of focus on on the the making and and the creation of the album but uh, yeah i mean look even if we didn't get the documentary if we if we got just the album in its entirety and you know, the demos and, um, you know, a, a smattering of, of offcuts and the original, as you say, the original uh, behind the mask. I think you'd have a really
1: uh, ecstatically happy fan community. And But didn't they do that already with Bad? They did that with Bad 25. Like exactly what we're talking about is what we got with Bad 25. And that famously did not do well with, in terms of sales.
3: Yeah. And look, I think, um, look, I think that's the reality of posthumous albums for the most part, you know, and also for anniversary albums. You you can look back through the catalogue of, you know, Paul Simon's Graceland getting a, a deluxe edition, anniversary edition. They generally, you know, you're, you're preaching to the hardcore fans. And rightfully so, there's a, um, you know, there's a rift within the, the fan community about, sh- you know, and a dilemma about should we support, should we not support, anything that comes out from the estate and from Sony and so there's always going to be that dilemma. I think the the days of Michael Jackson having a number one album may be behind us and as a fan that sometimes is hard to kind of stomach but I think it's also okay as long as uh, what comes out is, is quality stuff that we can enjoy and that promotes and extends the legacy.
1: Certainly. And I used to have those hopes as well prior to the posthumous albums coming out um, that we would see Michael return to having number ones all over the place. But I slowly sort of realized that it's not actually possible because Michael's not here to even promote these albums. He can't do award show stuff. He can't do performances. He's not actually here. So we're not actually going to see that again. That was lightning in a bottle. That was when Michael was here and that's not going to come again. But I think, you know, coming, there's a positive place you can get to as a fan, realising that Michael has already accomplished those things. Exactly. Um, when you look back at what he did in his life, when he was here and how he changed the industry, I mean, he accomplished things that no other artist will ever be able to accomplish. He, he, he peaked at such a level that um, we will always be able to appreciate that without having to have it replicated posthumously. So I I agree with you on that for sure. But I hope they do still continue to honour these albums and especially Thriller. Um, I just hope they don't um, take the road of hotshot producers and remixes coming in to do a new version of lady in my life, you know, like with a rapper on it. Like (laughs) I really hope they avoid that. And that's something they've been doing even recently with the bad 25 thing. Like it doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. I mean, fine. Like if they want to do remix stuff, cool. But like just drop it separately on Spotify or iTunes or whatever, drop it separately to being on the product. Do you agree with that or?
3: Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I haven't heard you know a, a posthumous remix where I've thought, "Wow, this is fantastic!" Like putting Pitbull on a track, genius idea. This is what you know, as Michael fans, we all wanted. Um, yeah, you know, and I think unfortunately a lot of a lot of it sometimes can come down to you know wanting to feel current and wanting to appeal to, yeah. quote unquote, the kids. But I think that's misguided. I think you have to represent Michael as the artist he was and honor the work that he he did and if anything has to happen to that it should always be with the focus of of honoring Michael's legacy rather than trying to make it current for the kids and and you know getting a a new wave of of fans in because I don't know anyone any new fan who came post bad 25 um bad being released or
1: this is now when we get dozens of kids adding us on twitter saying they became fans from bad 25
3: (laughs) no no and that's fine but i I, what i what i was going to say was i don't know how many of them would say and pitbull was the reason yeah yeah, i became a fan. yeah that's 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 the point
1: that's the point that's right J. Cast.